Recorded in the darkest dungeons of the basement of Death Studio, Josh, Troy, and Ty present a show dedicated to bringing you, the listener, into the adventure right along with them. Pick up your sword or load your bolt gun, but don't forget your helmet, because it is time for some playing and slaying. Live, actually live from the BOD studio and a remote partner, our uh, our fourth chair joining us from up north. You know what? It is playing and slaying live. I think we're live streaming and we're recording. We so, could be. I, I don't know if I actually pushed the button on Twitch. Oh, this is kind of like our dry run. I got excited that we were actually live. But we might be recording videos, so you could, maybe there's a... Ooh. Maybe there's a YouTube wow. version of this sometime, right. but we'll see how it turns out. This is the big experiment since we haven't been in person in a while. But being in person is is fun and cool, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about some in person gaming on tonight's episode. Uh, get back to the the basics of hobby uh, accountability, where most of us fail, some of us maybe <laughs> succeed, <laughs> and pick some new charities. Some acquisition, I'm sure that took place. Um, you know, just kind of run the gamut of the usual uh, banter, and then we're going to have a, uh, a a host to host to host to host four way Q and A uh, over some some interesting questions and, and topics, kind of a free form discussion. Um, so it's it's going to be fun. It's cool to actually sit at the same table and and record. We've been remote for the better part of. I don't know, 18 episodes, roughly. Yeah, I mean, right. We, it, I don't even remember. Yeah, it's been since last March, right? Yeah, so, it's been a minute. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to do that thing. But before we do that thing, it's very important on this episode 53 that uh, we, we recognize that when you're playing and slaying, it is important to stay hydrated. So this What Are You Drinking segment goes out to Stu in Nashville uh, because I'm going to start dedicating this to, to different listeners and people each episode. And then that, that listener gets uh, a beer the next time I see him. So, nice. yeah, I just I, mm. I figure that'll be a fun way to you know connect with our six or seven listeners. And I, I won't have to spend too much money because we only have six or seven folks I'll be buying beer for. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're listening, let us know you're listening, and you can get a beer from Ty. <laughs> All right. Speaking of what uh, what we're drinking, Josh, what are you drinking? Hold uh, it up for the camera, too. I picked up a City Lights Brewing Company coconut porter. It's it's pretty good. It's brewed in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, it's pretty good. I like it. So it's a coconut porter, not a willy porter. Correct. Good. <laughs> it's good. I, I like that. All right, Bryce. I'm very excited to hear what 196 pound yeah, Bryce is drinking. Let me get it up drinking. for the camera here. The nice tall glass of Aqua Fina 
It's not aquafina, it's just water. <laughs> <laughs> That's just us trying to slip in some branding. Aquafina hit us up. You know you know the details. Yep. City lights hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, what are you drinking? I am drinking liquid death. I have to get that in front of the camera too. Liquid death, which is mountain water. Murder your thirst is what it said. So I had this for a while and I'm like, I actually said next time we're in person, I'll drag it out of the bottom of the fridge. And it is wonderful, crisp, cool water. Shout out to liquid death. So it's probably just really expensive water is Uh what it is. So it makes it taste better. Man, we got to find some new co-hosts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So... I'm drinking uh, from the BOD's fridge a Lakefront Brewing Easy Teasy. Uh, it's a green tea ale. Um, Lakefront, a core brewery here in Milwaukee, uh, which, interestingly enough, on the label it says established 1987. I had no idea they've been uh, around around that long. But um, right down the street from our friend Dan at Cubic Shenanigans and his uh, river riverfront recording studio (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can see it out the window from the yeah right yeah so easy teasy um it's got a little bit of a green tea taste Uh, otherwise pretty pretty light but a good it was it was really muggy and humid today a Mm. little warm so this is a nice kind of summer refreshing uh ale um and then i'll probably have a coconut porter before we're done yes all right let's do it what are we playing who's playing some games uh according to our list here um Somebody was playing Seven Wonders Duel. Yeah, so we dragged out, and I think we're, as we get into this next one, Ty, that you'll talk about, I had a, a two-player weekend a few a few weeks back uh, where I think Friday night it was, I think it was you, Ty, I came over on Friday night, and we broke out, and I won't spoil it, the next game that we're going to talk about. And But then on Saturday, um, it was just Ben and I online, and Seven Wonders Duel is on Board Game Arena, um, one of the good things about Asmodee, I think, buying that, we're we're worried about. I think some of the what were some of the bad things. Some of the good things is more and more of the Asmodee games are showing up on there. Um, and I have it over here on the shelf, um, somewhere over there. Um, but uh, Ben and I pulled it out, and I forgot how good this game is. It's it is really, and again, even online, it's actually so easy to set up. What I remember is like you have to get to set up because you're actually making a pyramid of cards and they stack on top of each other and then as you instead of doing the drafting from each other as you pass cards around you're drafting them from the board but when you pull a card out that may then make uncover a card that was that's underneath so you really have to think about especially and some of them are face up and some are face down so you can see that hey there's a face up card that my opponent might really like but if i take that one then he's just going to go and jump that. Should I do something else? So there's a lot of real strategy around a lot more interaction between than you do in like Kevin seven wonders. Cause you really got to pay attention what the other person's kind of doing. And then there's the instant win conditions around military, um, which, and I'll apologize. So it, it kind of, it's not, you know, it, it has very much the same flavor as seven wonders, but really kind of different mechanics in how they do it. But you so you have an instant win with military where there's a military track, and as you buy the military, you in real time move that track back and forth like a tug of war. And if it does get all the way to the end where you have that much more military in somebody than the, your opponent, that's an instant win. doesn't matter anything else. You instant win. And then there's also a science instant win if you get all six, six or seven symbols in the cards. Uh, what's interesting in that one is you don't, because of the randomness of the deck, 
you don't know if that one's actually being in play until you get kind of towards the end of the game because you don't know what all the cards are. So there's been times when, so you can have somebody playing for that and then you realize that there's only five symbols on there or your opponent got the only one of one of the symbols or something else like that. But you do have to pay attention because you don't want somebody to run away with either of those things. Um, so you can't just ignore military or ignore science on that. So uh, it was a lot of fun. And then Ben and I played it, I think, the next weekend or whatever. We got two or three plays in, on that. And it just made me reminder of how much uh, how, how fun again the game is and really solid it is. So I would I would almost almost rather play that than Seven Wonders anytime. <clears throat> I think it's a better um they they took some of the fun parts of Seven Wonders and and obviously two players you have to focus it for that card pyramid and selection yep. versus um you know dealing and passing cards but I think it's a better implementation of the mechanics and I think it makes for like not that Seven Wonders is complex and difficult but Duel just streamlines it and makes it incredibly yep. like accessible to sit down and play and get a few games in. Yeah. The only thing that may be a little bit comp what what do we notice that might be a little complex if you weren't playing online is the because the cost to buy things you're always buying from the bank and things like that, but the cost difference are a little bit more comp there's a little bit more to it than there is in Seven Wonders where it's just two, you know, mm -hmm. two to buy from anything else around. So and that was what was nice again about playing online is it does all the calculations for you and it tells you even on your turn how much this will cost and whatever. So you don't even have to do any of that calculation and stuff in your head. So, um, so fun game. It was fun to yeah, kind of bring that one back to life. That's, I mean, that's been out there for probably quite a while now. I know some wonders yeah. is on its like 10 year thing and that game's probably five or six years old at least. I can't remember exactly when that came out, but yeah, definitely a good game. I like that one. It Great was, tie. Uh, Go our, our other half of the two-player weekend. Yeah, so it was that uh, that same night we got Imperium, which is a new game just released end of May um, from Osprey. They released uh, Imperium Legends and Imperium Classics, so two separate games, but they can be mixed together and played um, 100%. Like the rules are written for you to have either either game. <clears throat> um, but it is a deck building, I guess, civilization style, like empire building game. So you have your deck, which is one of the, the eight empires in the classics or legends box. So I think when we played, you were Persia and I was the Roman empire. Um, and what is incredibly cool, uh, about Imperium is it is completely asymmetric, uh, wing conditions for the different empires. So the Romans are are winning through a different mechanism than the Persians or, you know, the the other King Arthur's court is one in legends. There's the can't even think Assyrians, um, a number of other Vikings. Did you hit Gr Greeks, Romans? Yeah, I think Macedonia, right. There was some, yeah. Uh, so Vikings. And you, you've got this this selection of all these empires, but it's deck building in that. You're buying from a market row. You can acquire cards to add to your deck. There's revolt cards, uh, which are bad. They have no usage. And if the revolt pile ever runs empty, it's it's like an automatic loss because your empires have spun out of control. <clears throat> and you're trying to advance your empire from a barbaric state to an imperial, to like an empire, uh, basically, as you develop and advance the cards into your deck you're getting these uh, nation cards into play 
every time you reshuffle, you add a nation card. Once you get through all your nation cards, you then have the chance to actually develop like technologies and specific great leaders um, and add those in. So it, it took a while, I think, to set up and get the hang of it, but then it, it was relatively intuitive because on your turn, you're, you're either playing, you're, you know, taking cards in or you're getting rid of those revolt cards. Um, and it felt, it felt like it was a really tight, close game the whole time. We weren't sure how it was going to end. Um, there's just enough interaction. Sometimes in deck builders, you don't, really do anything to the other player you just work on your own deck and take your turn and I, I felt like there was enough where you could play cards to attack or interfere with your your opponent so i'd imagine in a you know a larger player count game there's even more of that as each umpire is yeah, well, doing it yeah i can't that'd be interesting i mean we just played two and it was enough to kind of again you weren't like i didn't know exactly what you're doing but you had a good feel, like all right i kind of know what ties to you know strategies over there Mm-hmm. Um, and what I need to worry about because you guys are more, you were more building cities and they were giving you points and things. And I was all about just attacking things and taking, and people. taking things over. You had to like assimilate those other <laughs> cultures and bring them in. Yeah. And it plays up to five. I think, four? I think it's a, up to five. I don't have the box with me, but, um, okay. And it would, and it, cause there is some, uh, oh, well, like a, like you're playing, we could, y'all do some things at the same time, right? You can kind of, yeah. So it's not yeah, like you, yeah. There's a, once you there'll take, be some downtime, but there wouldn't be terrible. I don't think. Cause sure. once you take your active turn, there's like a cleanup phase where you're going through and doing stuff that doesn't affect anyone else. So the next player can go. So you don't have to like do the full turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a seasons, like there's that, um, solstice phase. Yep that all players take any of their solstice actions. So it, it goes around the table and then it hits solstice. Then it goes around the table, hits solstice. And during solstice, you'll have some cards in play that give you different things, do different things for you. Um, so everyone does that together. Um, yeah. It, it probably plays in under two hours. If maybe an hour, if you're, familiar yeah, with Yeah, I think it. if everybody was familiar with it, again, there's a little bit of the asynchrony that's going to play against you because each deck you're going to have to kind of get oh, get your hand wrapped around it. So mm-hmm. be, I think if you you know if you start to learn certain decks, you're probably going to be a little bit faster. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think as we went to, as we were kind of learning, and like you said, it was kind of tight. And, and I, we got towards kind of that, whatever the uh, second or third stage where you're kind of like, oh, end game. Um, but I didn't actually know what ended the game because, but I knew I, that, that we were at this tipping point. Like I'm, I think I'm really close. I might, I'm probably ahead if I could figure out how to end the game now. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened is I, I'm trying to end it, but we went like two more turns and that way, cause I knew that by then Ty had his engine kind of running and that kind of pushed him, uh, that pushed him ahead of me, uh, towards the end and some of that. So, yeah, but it was, it was good. It was a fun game. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy I I purchased it. It was kind of on a whim. Osprey um has done some really great stuff. The first board game I played of theirs was The King is Dead, which I just love. It's such a simple game in that it's just cubes on a map and you're trying to spread influence. Then they did um Undaunted, which is cards and a handful of tiles, a great two-player kind of um World War II war game. And then this and I know they've done a ton of rule sets, obviously, um, like Frostgrave and um, can't think of the name of the car one now. Uh, Gaslands. Gaslands. Um, number of games like that. So they just seem to 
either find designers that are doing really cool, unique things or, you know, have some great in-house. Um, they, they must just have a, a really, really creative group of, of folks yeah. <laughs> developing their uh, their IPs because their games yeah. have just been hit after hit after hit. So that's that was Imperium. Um, it's a, I think it's forty dollars for either of the the two, um, and you get a ton of cards in it. It's it's a pretty good sized box, and the art is interesting. I we didn't really talk about that, but it's not quite comic book style, but it's definitely not like photorealistic mm-hmm. art. Um, uh, and, and you know, it's it's ancient history, so it's kind of cool to see the the various figures and buildings and in that style of like comic book, um, painting, I guess. Yeah. I, that's interesting I, that we didn't like touch on it. I, I think it's real, it's good. Like it, it definitely enhances the game or whatever. Um, but it's not too much over the top. Like you're going, Ooh, look at this, whatever. But, uh, it definitely doesn't detract at all with the game. And, and, and I think that the art is really cool enough that you're, it's engaging and, so kind of exactly, they probably spent exactly what they should have on their budget for art, right? <laughs> in that it enhances the game without being too much, and it definitely and it it isn't detracting at all. Yeah, it uh, it moved like quickly into my top twenty games, though. When I think about like <clears throat> the hierarchy of my collection and where it goes, I, I think it easily moves into the top twenty right right off the bat after a single play, because I think there's an incredible amount of replayability. I don't mm-hmm. see any game being the same. Uh, the way that the the various um, civilizations work and how many options you have. So um, then I I think we it might have been the following weekend we got together, but Bryce, you came down uh, for a a big AOS two versus two game. I know Dan and Brendan talked about it on their last episode of Cubic Shenanigans. So you can go there to hear the uh, the blow by blow kind of breakdown. But ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should not have taken the first turn and uh, then we, we would have probably won. Um, <laughs> not, not true. Probably still would have lost, but um, we would played uh, 1500 points. Each player um, ended up being Dan and I, so night haunt and iron jaws versus Bryce uh, and Brendan with Stormcast and Slanesh. Uh, well, Archaon, but Slanesh. So, um, yep. It's fun to roll dice again. It, it was the first time I played AOS since October of 2019. It was the first time I'd played. So um, a good way to see AOS 2.0 out as AOS 3.0 <laughs> comes with having not played a game in nearly two years. But um, I don't know anything on that game, Bryce, other than uh, Slanesh felt really broken in a 3,000-point game because of all the depravity points. Yeah, three thousand points. I think that was a that was a lot, but it was just good to get together and and play the game with you and Dan and Brendan. And like you said, it's been a long time since we've gotten to do that, so it was nice. And then that night, we went and grabbed a <clears throat> went and grabbed a bite to eat, and then headed over to Troy's and met up with uh, Joshua, Troy, and then the two of us and played some games. Um, I think the the first one we broke out was Marvel United, which we may have talked about a little bit last time yep. with how it works. But um, we did the uh, the Asgard expansion and stopped Loki and his manipulative schemes. Um, Bryce, I want to ask you what were what were your thoughts about Marvel United since you you were the one that hadn't played it the last time with us? 
yeah i thought it was really it was it was fun it was really simple to pick up and like easy to understand and like, there's not a lot of setup to it which i really like you know it's one where you can just get it out of the box basically and it takes two minutes and you can play it um i i do think it's too easy though and maybe it's just because you guys are experts or something but it felt like there was never a doubt that we were going to win the the game yeah i i think we've kind of figured it out without the added complexities or the you know the ways to make it harder i think there's an easy solution though for that and that is to start with only two hero actions between the villain and see how that goes and then the one that's supposed to take you to two take it to one where you're alternate you that would be oh, an auto well. lose but i think i think going <laughs> to two would be one way to to solve that um you know if if it proves that the other way is to complicate it or add mission difficulties doesn't work mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and we didn't i mean we played right i think if you read right in the rules they kind of tell you to take some cards out like the wilds yep. you end up taking out you know, we haven't played all the, although we did play Loki, I assume that he's a, one of the harder villains, maybe. I don't know what, I don't know if well, how we, he's forwarded yeah, as. Yeah, so, so we didn't play with the traitor, which I think mm. would also make it harder. Yep. So Loki's expansion comes with, you have a random traitor in the four heroes who helps to advance Loki's schemes by either playing the wrong cards or, you know, playing cards face down. Um, and he, it forces each player to play face down. And if you don't, you can basically like uh, lose points or lose actions or something. There's a way to make it harder. Yeah, and some of the other um, difficulty schemes or whatever they call them, um, I'd, I'd be interested to see because we only, I think we only did that once, right? One yeah. game. Hmm. I'd be interested to see what what the sub some of the other ones are. To, you know how they make them harder and that sort of thing. Um, that might tip tip the scale a little bit more in in the AI's favor. So I don't know. What if we played with two villains? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That'd be real hard. <laughs> um, and then after that, I know it was, it was given time for Bryce to head out. So we wanted to play something quick. So we played uh, King Domino um, tile placement, built our own little kingdoms. Um, I think that was the first time Bryce, you had played King Domino as well, right? Yep. Yep. Because I didn't know how to count. <laughs> <laughs> counting counting is a difficult skill. Yeah. I thought it was a five five from each direction of your centerpiece and not a five right. by five square. So I was gonna make a like an eleven by eleven square. That would have been real big. Yeah, so then then Troy told me I was cheating. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then it wasn't cheating; it was just bringing you back within the rules, uh, the, yeah, the yeah. lines of the rules. That was. <laughs> and then we uh, we played my city once Bryce had left and kept going with our. Um, we added the churches, and that mm-hmm. felt that it it feels like this game is getting harder and more brain melting mm-hmm. every time we open a new envelope. It just makes it more frustrating to try to fit the various buildings onto your little tiny board yep. in the right way. Um, so we'll see what, I, I know we'll probably play that again tonight and, and see where we go, but we're only in like the third envelope we've opened out of eight. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm really interested to see what you keep adding and how they keep tweaking it. Cause every change has materially changed how the game is played. Um, which sometimes legacy style games don't change how the game's played. It just adds in, you know, new bad gotcha. guys or new variants. But this feels like it is like materially changing the rules, mm-hmm. the scoring um, and, and placement like guidelines every time you advance one of yep. the new episodes. At the very least, it's adding a wrinkle that changes how you need to place things. Like, yeah. you know, it, it, may, it maybe some of the rules are all the same, but you, like adding the churches in, you have to play the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, like where, yeah. where do I fit this in? You know, there's, there's just so many little, yeah, eat, eat, they just ratchet it up a little bit by a little bit. And I love how they're doing that so that you're learning the game slowly and they just keep ratcheting it up. And so you're building off of what you've already learned previously. And I, I think that's, I don't know, it's yeah, just really smart. Really game. cool. And I love how the initial, how they take the initial rules and how now as you go through, you're starting to see how how these basic how the basic rules get used more like the, you know i think we started out we're like there's the rule about resigning right at any point in the game in the, the game you can say i'm done i'm, I'm not going to place any more tiles for the rest of the game and that's where my score is where it is and you're like well why would you do that yeah, right i don't know, I don't why. know why, why would you do? and then yeah. as we've gotten through like oh this is like a critical this could be a really critical strategy because that because if you can't play stuff you start taking minuses and so you have to kind of like at some point i'm better off just like not scoring anymore because I'm actually may score less if I keep going right <laughs> on some of that. And what's that balance? So I love how they, like the very, the basic rules continue to get more, you know, and they're not getting more complex, but they're more strategic as you get yeah. through the more rules. Yeah. It's, it's uh, very well done. It's, it's interesting. Um, Reiner Canizia is, I, I think he's a genius when it comes down to the design of this game and just, we haven't even seen the you know the next five, but I think once we get there, the game is going to have so many layers and so many you know little tweaks and changes that advancing. I, I think designing a legacy style game that that changes the rules as it goes has to be just a very difficult because you're you're deconstructing the game. You know you're playing it at the at opening stages with less ingredients. Then you're adding, you know, more in and more in and more in until you have your end result, your end product. So um, I'd like to I wonder if he's done any interviews on the design process or anything, but it'd be fun to to find yeah. out um, kind of like thinking about how, you know, movie directors like uh, Christopher Nolan, you know, with Tenet and stuff like do you start at your end idea and then break it down and twist it or right. do you yeah. kind of just free form as you go get all these twists and turns like yeah uh, all right then uh troy i think this next one's yours oh mondrosity so a uh, little bit of call out to our friend uh raf cordero uh this is something he had recommended a few uh, boy i don't even know months ago uh that he uh, played with uh with his kids and uh, I had it and I grabbed it and uh, I'm like, and finally I'm, I talked Sarah into playing it and uh, she loved it. Um, and, and really in, in kind of the non-rule, <laughs> basically what it is, is you have cards of different monsters and they, um, and you have to basically look at them and then one person describes them. So it'd be like, we were playing, I would look at it. I get like 
20 seconds to memorize it. And then for two minutes, I'm basically describing it to you. You guys are asking questions. How many legs does it have? What kind of eyes? And I'm like, it has a round body and a head, uh, you know, a head that looks like a, um, a, a lizard or something else like that. And you're drawing on kind of the white eraser boards. Um, and then after that, and then the, and then you, you don't do, I'm trying to think how you do, I kind of think of the scoring works. So if you, in the real game, there's some score and they're scoring basically around, um, you all show, everybody shows them. And then the, the person who gave the descriptions, they pick the one that they think is the best. Um, and then secretly, and then they reveal what the card looks like and everybody shows, and then everybody kind of votes. You can't vote for your own. Everybody votes for which one got the best. And then if, if somebody says, oh, yours looks the closest, um, then that person gets a point. And then if the person, if the, the person who described shows what they picked, if that actually matches the one that everybody picked, then there's like a bonus point that gets on. So very light scoring just to kind of make things go. Um, but basically we've done it like Sarah and I, where it's just a double where one person describes, the other person draws for two minutes, And then at the end, you just kind of show and see how, you know, how weird it is or how wrong you get it or whatever <laughs> and go back and forth. And so um, that's been fun. So I played a little bit of her and then I took it up north and actually played when we were uh, kind of on vacation with, uh, again, very civilian friendly game. For, <laughs> awesome. for family and everything else like that. So, <laughs> well, I was also on vacation and I, I played on the slip and slide. It was it was awesome. <laughs> it's not Any, a game, Josh. <laughs> it's a game. It's a game. We made it a game. <laughs> the, the, you were the, allotting points. You were like scoring. There was a, the lady like three doors down from my dad's house was holding up signs with numbers on them. I got tens. I'd just like oh. to point that out. Uh-huh. Was there um any um any spins or rolls in your Yeah, trip I did down? like a corkscrew one time. <laughs> um my dad did like a full flip over and then he put his hands and legs up. Yeah, it was pretty pretty good. We were awesome. <laughs> That's an extreme slip and slide. Extreme slip and slide. We we busted out the uh the dish soap, so it went extra oh fast. Oh. Everybody was all full of soap. It was I, great. I hope there was video of you going down the slip and slide. I don't know if there is. Because I want to see this hit YouTube soon. Like, <laughs> we'll, we'll check the archives. All right. How about some, how about some hobby? Uh, <laughs> Other I, than making it, it, Hopefully, Bryce can drag us through this because I don't know. I'm looking at our notes, and I, I think Ty, did all right. I didn't do, I'll just go because I didn't do it much. Uh, I think last time, I didn't even listen last time I was trying to remember. I think I didn't even commit and I still couldn't. You picked five things. I picked five things and I didn't, I, and I'm yes. trying, I'm looking, oh, wow. I, and I looked around to try and like salvage something. And I'm like, man, I did not even, um, I, I did acquire some Gaunt's Ghosts and I think an AOS book, which was uh, Craig just Nose, random. Right? Yeah. Um, Probably because it has still enough rules in it, but I also failed. I was supposed to just use my airbrush. That was it. Like just <laughs> something. No, I failed. So do you guys have a, a new charity picked out for the the ten dollar uh, assessment oh. that you're facing? TBD. I'm not sure. Yeah, I had an idea, and I have to go look for it. I should yeah. have picked one out. I, I have one that I've been thinking about. I can't. I didn't write it down. So yeah, we will uh, follow up with that. I think uh, I think what you guys should consider is Meth's uh, rant uh, rantathon for mental health is coming up. Mm. There you go. Um, I will do end that. of July, so we could do our our June and July totals. Mm. 
towards whatever else we're we're gonna do for that. Perfect. Well, my goal was to paint twenty zombies from second edition and zombie side. Um, so I've I've picked up three different sets of the instant colors from scale seventy five, and I have a, a hodgepodge of various contrast paints from GW. So I I primed them with the Wraithbone, which is that um, it's that warmer white. You know, it has a little bit of probably I think yellow in it um, <clears throat> from from GW. Um, and then just started using the, the various contrast and, uh, instant colors from scale to paint up the zombies. And there was a cool, like dead skin. And then I added, you know, a warmer, like flesh over it, um, did the various cloth leather, you know, backpacks, whatever else, and then used, um, my Vallejo, uh, metals to do like, you know, one is a welder. So he's got like the welder mask. So I did like aethermatic blue on the, the visor part and then the the metal for the mask and the, the tank. The only thing I haven't done on the 20 zombies is blood effects, but I want to get all of them done um, from the set and then just sit there and flick, you know, splatter um, <laughs> like blood on the zombies and hit, hit a few spots with the brush. But just do it all in once with a, you know, a big thing of newspaper and just from the top kind of spray <laughs> maybe a spray bottle of blood paint <laughs> from the top <laughs> from the top make it drop yeah yeah right <laughs> that's, some, that's some blood spider um, oh gosh <laughs> so i i hit my goal um and i also then uh spent a couple hours with the same paints I'm, I'm having a lot of fun using instant colors from scale 75 they're a little bit thinner than the gw contrast paint um so sometimes I'm, I'm working with layering different ones, you know, getting a, uh, using a lighter one and then a dark one in the recesses and just kind of playing, playing with that and then hitting some of the fabric and other stuff with a dry brush of regular paints after it to get a little bit more of the, the texture and the look of, of cloth. But I did a, uh, it's a zombie side black plague miniature. Um, he's holding like a staff with a jawbone attached to it. I think he's one of the necromancers. Um, or one, you know, one of those characters. Um, but since we're going to be doing a little bit of Frostgrave here in the coming months, I figured he'd make a cool wizard. So paint him up, put a little like blue face paint on because I want to do kind of a barbarian necromancer feel. So I'll have some barbarians and then a couple of skeletons that are some of my soldiers. So my hobby goal for next time, by the time we record next month, is to finish the warband. So nine more models. So eight of the soldiers and specialists and then one apprentice so i'll have those nine done um for frostgrave which i think we're gonna look to play in august when maybe we'll talk about what we're doing in august here before the uh the end of the show as well because that'll be here before next time so bryce how about you yeah i think my goal was to paint my test models and then either build a unit or paint a unit and i finished painting one test model and I liked it so much that I decided that that I didn't need to paint anymore. And I, it was a mm -hmm. warlock bombardier, the Skaven guy with the rocket launcher in his hands. Uh, and I had a lot of fun painting that bright yellow with some like checkered green and purple on it. So I, I just jumped right into unit of the clan rats and got those. I can't say done. Cause I, I am using some bases from Eldrick hobbies uh, he does uh, resin, 
uh, sculpted bases and there's there's these cogs and gears and screws and all kinds of stuff like that on them so I don't want to do like a, a little bit of a steampunk feel because I'm going to do uh, some conversions based around uh, the Scryer clan so I didn't get them based so I'll let you guys decide if that if that counts or not uh, I, for me achieving my goal I think it counts I so I didn't base my zombies either because um, I'm waiting on that but I got the the models done so I also didn't okay. base my non-airbrush. <laughs> so we'll count it. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then uh, I got this crazy idea to try to speed paint some storm casts. And I got, I think it's 23 models out and got them base coated. And then I stopped painting them. But I haven't, I have an excuse because Ty posted his frost grave uh, wizard that he just talked about. And then, oh, oh Back when shutdown all happened, I I was going to be playing Frostgrave, and I think that game's called Warden. It's it's from Osprey, the same writer as Frostgrave, but it's like a solo campaign, and you're a ranger, um, and it's the same concept. You have a warband, you have a ranger and his apprentice. Um, but I was going to play a bunch of that, and I bought a bunch of 3D printed models, and a lot of the the 3D printed models I got look really good, but they you know they're not super detailed you can't you can't get a great effect when you just wash and dry brush them but i bought these three dwarfs and from some guy on etsy and they're heroic scale but they're like the size they're a little bit smaller than like a fire slayer so they're they're pretty small but the detail on them is absolutely incredible and there's no there's no lines there's no little flaky things that sometimes are on them it's it's absolutely remarkable how high quality these mo- models are and I just, I just started painting them yesterday, and hopefully here tomorrow, I'll be able to share them because they'll be done. But just unbelievable, honestly. I I, I wish I knew who it was because I I bought him a year ago. But the guy deserves some major credit for how tuned in he has his printer. That's awesome. Yeah, resin printers are pretty crazy, and they're just getting better. Like that was a year ago. I think they're yeah. just getting in, in the price. The you know really good ones like that. The price is just coming down, and I don't know. I, I haven't. I'm not jumping right. in there yet. But yeah, I'm right. I'm right there. <laughs> if it didn't have to do all the sorry for the 3D printing stuff, um, but it's just, it's actually not the printing. It's the curing and, and the, the cleaning and yep. the, the elk, right. It's just it's a little bit more. Yeah, you have to have a kind of a much more dedicated space and right. a little bit you want to have fresh air and things like that uh, to do it right and that that's really what's holding me back if i had a doc dr gabe says you don't need fresh air when you're working on resin doctor recommended mm-hmm. i don't know he probably yeah. didn't say that but i <laughs> when you're i think he'd back it resin, yeah, he'd, yeah he'd back what whatever i say He's my medical yeah. advisor, so he'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, that's all I had to interject about 3D printing was a, a joke about medical doctors. Um, how about goals for next time? Uh, I put Frostgrave. I think that was a good, because that, that, what's good and my my motivator is always events. And so I think the fact that we probably almost, almost for sure are going to be trying to play some Frostgrave Will actually that'll motivate me and it'll actually give me if I have deadlines I'm much much better. <laughs> so Troy is going to do a Frostgrave Wizard and Warband. Yeah, the ten it, models. Yeah, 
yeah, I won't commit to how far I get by next time, but I'm, I want to have a good chunk of, yeah, at least well on the path. If I'm not well on the path, then I'll really be in trouble. But All right. Josh, how about you? Yeah, uh, I will do the same, Wizard and Warband. Uh, and I will also bust out the airbrush. I'll carry, oh, wow. I'll carry that over. Wow. Because yeah. I, I feel double, like I failed. Doubling down. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bryce, is it going to be the, the Warband wrapping that up? Can I can I make mine turn on my airbrush? No, I won't allow you to no? okay. to just turn on your airbrush. Um, so I, I'll I will finish the warband, but that's not fair because it's it'll be done probably tomorrow. So I, I'll finish the warband. I will paint a set of terrain for Frostgrave and a set of terrain for Marvel Crisis Protocol, as well as three heroes for Crisis Protocol. Wow, wow. that's that's lofty goals. I love it. Um, it's guarantee. <laughs> um Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna do my Frostgrave Warband, but Bryce is making me feel like I should add add to it. Um, so maybe I'll finish up some some extra terrain. I have some of the walkways from Warcry sitting around so that we can have you know people fall off height because that <laughs> yep. that'll be more fun in Frostgrave. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah hobby goals for our uh, accountability challenge any um i see a, a blank space under crowdfunding any any kickstarter uh backing or people getting stuff from kickstarter or finding out that Aetherfields is delayed another six <laughs> months or how did you see that oh i'm making that up <laughs> no. i'm just assuming <laughs> it is it, legitimately i got an email last week uh it is to 2023 now 2023 yeah wow goodness gracious oh, man yeah i'm well so, so i backed um Frosthaven, so the gloomhaven expansion okay and yeah. as those updates come you know he he rewrote some things and he's he just mentioned he's like as the global shipping crisis gets worse he's like i know it's going to be chaos i don't know how bad it's going to get um but you know we'll keep you updated and hang in there it's like all these folks are just planning that anything they're going to try to ship in the next year is going to be two years. It's, yeah. It feels like there's this just huge, incredible backlog. I picture all these boats, you know, like uh, <laughs> the cab stand outside a busy hotel in like Chicago <laughs> used to be. I yeah. mean, Uber's kind of changed that <laughs> yeah. a little bit, but like where you'd have just around the block line, line of cabs. That's like the boats at these uh, shipping docks. Yeah. Like, just should we buy a, a BOD barge and like start shipping <laughs> yeah. stuff? Oh, there we go. Uh, Maybe you, you got a few hundred million dollars for one of those yeah, container ships. Yeah. I mean, we could put it on the BOD card. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. The only thing, um, as we, as I'm looking at it, the camera can't see it, uh, but Kemet Blood and Sand, I received. Um, uh, and uh, and maybe that's my that was my hobby was to unbox that and rebox it and punch it out and sleeve it and everything to get it ready hopefully to to play. Um, but super excited they did a nice job on uh, taking Kemet to the super you know super level. Everything's new figures, more figures, cool cards, new art, all that stuff. Really cool. All right, let's move into the uh, the other fun. Just uh, random items of of geekery. I'm I'm gonna go first here because one I'm one I'm very disappointed in and one I'm very excited about. So I'll start with the bad news first, and that's um, I'm not gonna go into it because it's all over social media. But 
TSR. So originally the the company that created D&D, Gygax's thing in Lake Geneva, um, had kind of, you know, when they got bought out, purchased in the, I think, mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Is that 95? By, by Wizards of the Coast. Kind of disappeared a few years ago. Um, the, the TSR brand, maybe it was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. the TSR brand got purchased by a group that did some kind of spy game um, and used the TSR, like, logo um well that they didn't file their paperwork for the the licensee stuff for last year and instantly it got picked up by um a a number of folks one of which was ernie gygax and now they're tsr and they're talking about like doing old school projects and um it just there's been some very gatekeepery gatekeepery i guess if i'm making up a word um stances um you know talking about how gaming is you know isn't forever it basically being a heavy-handed like slam to all of the work that people are doing around diversity and inclusion and um you know gender and and just all of this work that's been happening mm-hmm. in the space kind of crapping all over that and he he did a podcast interview it was really disappointing um and, and i think that you know, I, I don't want to belabor a point, but it's worth educating yourself, seeing what someone says and looking beyond, you know, there's that, oh yeah, TSR, like childhood, whatever it was like, don't give, don't give them any time because of the nostalgia factor. Look at what they're saying, look at what they're doing and, and use your own ability to discern, you know, what are bad actors in, in the gaming space and what is gatekeeping and how it is a, a huge negative impact on a lot of the work that some, some people are doing. Um, so just, you know, take a look, uh, educate yourself and then, um, you know, form, form your own opinions. But I, I, I was disappointed to see that kind of flare up recently. Um, but then on the flip side, I'm very excited, uh, in the coming weeks. So, there's a big crossover between um, Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering coming as the Forgotten Realms uh, set releases. And it will be a standard, so it's not going to be part of their their new Worlds Beyond or Universes Beyond, like the 40K one, um, which I'm also excited for. But it's going to introduce um, a, like a dungeon delve uh, rule where you'll have a dungeon card and then you can advance into the dungeon through actions on cards i've seen some of the spoil like the new new rules some of the legends that we know and love from the forgotten realms so that's a set i I might go and just like pre-order two two boxes and actually think about like drafting real life magic again because if there's a set that i want to play it's the forgotten realms uh, set for magic so i'm really excited to see that coming here in the coming weeks you had me at magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had me at Forgotten Realms. That yeah. was, so that's what's got me super excited <laughs> around that. So. so Troy, how about you? Uh, a, new, so, a new place you discovered. Yeah. So I'm, again, sorry for the local uh, call out, uh, but I was, um, my parents are up in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. If anybody knows where that is, the thumb of Wisconsin, if you know how the, your geography at all. Um, the, yeah. There, there we go. Closer to Bryce. Um than we are right now. So uh, this is, I'm glad I'm gonna have to find this. I'm going to release the video for this. This will be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my sister had, had uh, scouted this out a, a month or two ago. I think they opened up in May 
Um, but the Nashery, uh, which is a, a game store, I think known by Gnome Games. I think they're out of Madison. So I think that's actually where they're kind of the, a satellite for that. But um, right downtown, um, Sturgeon, Wisconsin has a, a game store full blown. We went in there, whatever it was, last Sunday um, we were, when I was up there. And uh, they have a little cafe, so coffee and just some food. Um, and then some tables and then a nice, nice inventory of games in the back, anything from 40 K stuff to, you know, cards against humanity, you know, kind of the full range of, you get some normal kind of game stuff all the way, but to some very hardcore, um, you know, miniature kind of gaming stuff. Um, but most of it was kind of in that middle board game, my, you know, my city, a lot of the stuff that's back here, right. Very much in that and some decent table space for, and they're just kind of getting back into having events, um, in the store and something like that, but they had, uh, you know, on their sign, they had, uh, whatever it was, uh, open, you know, open Warhammer on one night or something else like that. So, uh, super exciting. Yeah. Um, even more reason to visit my parents now, I guess. And then we, <laughs> <laughs> especially on that night. And then, yeah. And like, Oh, I'll be up and, but I'm not, gonna be, uh, I, I'll be gone and then I'll come back later. You know, so, so. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's just, again, maybe it's just a little bit of the, you know, how gaming has really grown, um, that we're even in, uh, Whatever. I, I think it, it, I always call out to, uh, I think it's Labyrinth Games in uh, Baraboo, which is by the Dell. So I, I think there's something too around tourist thing. Like you get a lot of people there and there maybe there is a, a little bit of people looking for something to do when they're at their cabin or something else like that. And that uh, game stores could find some some uh, people that'll want to buy stuff there. And because um, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see how they, how they do, right? How they do is that. But my guess is that Gnome Games kind of knows what they're doing, right? If they run a couple other stores. And so they must have seen something there that makes sense for them. So so I bought something just to make sure that I can help support them. So. <laughs> well, I, I think you put up a picture of their, their rules too. And maybe we can link to that when we put up show notes or something or, you know, in, in the blog post. But I, I think I don't remember them word for word, but it was, it was a very um, well thought out way to kind of publicly say what they're about and what they encourage for play and, you know, being being a friendly kind of open inclusive space versus sometimes game stores have a little bit of that beardy gatekeeping you know like yeah and i won't i won't read the whole thing i will put it up there but i mean they kind of the big points were fairness honesty respect sportsmanship learning and teaching play yeah. safe right it's kind of there and then they have a little bit more text around each one of those things but uh, the gnomish code as they called it so, yeah yeah really cool yeah, so always always cool to see a, a business kind of put their stamp and what they stand for and what they believe in. So, all right, how about some uh, some library segment? Um, should be pretty quick. I know summer's here, so time spent in a chair with a book or listening to audiobooks might might be down if you're doing projects in your yard or doing a DIY slip and slide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm uh, I am almost done. I'm. I'm 780 pages into the book two of the Malazan uh, book of the fallen, um, the dead house gates or the dead house gate, uh, the second book in that series. So almost done with that. And then I've got memories of ice, the third one ready to go. Um, they're getting longer though. This book's like 831 <laughs> pages, uh, in the, the old paperback. So it's that thick, you gotta like hold it open and like crease the, the seam of the paperback to <laughs> keep it from closing on itself. Um, but really liking that um, and enjoying that series. So I'll probably keep going and, and see maybe maybe I can get through a few more of them this year because they're, I mean, they're lengthy reads. Um, 
And then I'm listening to The Poppy War. I've got about five hours left. Um, and that's Rebecca Quang. That was, speaking of Raph earlier, you know, that was a recommendation. I think when we talked to him almost a year ago, he was uh, he was reading that or finishing that. Um, really liking it. It's it's a good one on Audible. Um, and I'll probably finish that trilogy out too in, in short order. So that's what I've been reading. Um, I think we may have mentioned Project Hail Mary last time. <laughs> yeah, as that was our book, uh, but that had been a, a recent finish. Um, and then I've been, I watch, uh, so there's a, it's like a zombie show on Netflix called Black Summer. The first season came out in 2019. Um, and then they just released season two. So obviously the pandemic delayed kind of filming and everything. Um, it's definitely more of a action, less dramatization, like the walking dead, you know, has all the character stories and everything. Whereas black summer is a very like, um, handheld camera, a lot of like frantic running and survival and, you know, people don't last long. It's not like you follow a group of 12 characters over 10 years. It's like, you're lucky if they make it through an episode and then it shifts the vantage point and the angle to somebody else. Um, so I, I watched that. I kind of binged it over the last week or so. Um, but really like that one. If you're into zombie shows, I think Black Summer is is a good departure from the kind of the in-depth storytelling that Walking Dead does. And it focuses more on just like intense trying to survive moments. And not everyone is a expert level ninja with a katana or a crack shot with their pistol. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's much more try to get away. And the 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 one the times you do see someone try to fight a zombie, it's much more frantic. It's a lot of gunshots, not getting that headshot. It's you know it, it's very closer to what I imagine like <laughs> real real life zombie apocalypse would be like. Um, where it's just a lot of people dying. It's not like these action heroes. So, so it's more like uh, Outbreak Undead than Zombicide. Yeah, <laughs> it's more Outbreak Undead. I I describe it as more 28 Days Later to like that Danny Boyle style. The zombies run fast. And um, mm -hmm. so it's it's the scary kind of zombie. It's not the slow one where they're walking and you've got to twist your ankle to get caught by one of them. Anything else out there? Uh, reading. Uh, I just wanted. Yeah, I've been I think I've been hanging on Mortis, <laughs> which is book five of the Siege of Terra for a while. It, it's as my I am now to the audiobook, So. Um, the audiobook was delayed. And so I'd been reading the collectors, started the collector's version and then the ebook came out and I went to that. And then finally I noticed, oh, the audiobook is finally out. I don't know what, again, who knows, maybe Jonathan Keeble had a sore throat or something, or he mm -hmm. was doing right. Doing so. Um, but they didn't, usually they kind of release them at the same time as the ebook. And in this case, it was a few weeks afterward before they got the, um, but there's nothing like having Jonathan Keeble read the thing. So I kind of, and it's funny, like I almost always start over, like I'll be reading it and then I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm going to go back and read into that. So mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying that. I'm about almost more than halfway through, uh, on Mortis. Um, and so, uh, is, uh, yeah, Horace closes in closer and closer to, uh, getting the emperor if you don't know how it ends. So, um, <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler alert. There's no, I'm there's I no just spoiler. about to start. <laughs> They are awesome, even though everyone knows how it ends. That's the cool thing in this tragedy. So um, what actually happens, Bryce, is Horace, right? He, he's, he's been painted as this bad guy, this head of chaos, but he actually has a change of heart. And he sits down with his dad, and they have a nice cup of coffee, and they talk about their differences. 
and everything's going well and good and they're they're on a path to recovery right it's going to this huge massive rift in in mankind is going to be fixed and then Rebute comes in and he's like oh Horus you're such a dick and then Horus gets <laughs> mad at Gilliam and there's this huge cataclysm and fallout from the two brothers that can't get along and then everything goes to hell and that's where we are now with chaos for space marines and it's all Gilliam's fault that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. probably it's probably true uh, that's that, John, that happens in Mortis yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's John French he's I, I really like John French one of my what, he's uh, I don't know he's in my top three or so probably three or four of uh, black library authors so uh, really good stuff and uh, and then I was gonna get I think Ty had mentioned the invisible life of Eddie LaRue a few episodes ago um, and I needed just a little bit of a palate cleanser and so I dove in on that one and then i i've been joking that ty made me read a rosemary romance novel uh, for the last <laughs> uh, 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 kind of the paranormal you know supernatural romance novels um so that one so i it was i made it through and it was enjoyable I, and i had always wanted i'm always talk about like when a book if a book isn't where what you think it is like that doesn't necessarily mean it's right that it's like i think there's something where you project like you know, I would have done it this way or I would have done it right that way. And and yeah, I always kind of think like, well, that's you, right? You have to say that's you. That's not anything really against the book, right? Now it's maybe just, a, it shows how it maybe doesn't align with your expectations on some of that stuff. So again, I think there's a really cool story there. And that's what grabbed you, Ty, on it. Yeah. Um, I just thought that I, I think it was more of like, I was, I felt like there could have been, they could have went, she could have went so many, like just a little bit different ways or kind of took some more, made it a little more, I don't know, it was grittier or just more emotional. I thought there were some things that she really could have, because the premise of having kind of this immortal person and the curse and, and then having kind of this, this devil as kind of the, um, the adversary, but not an adversary in some respects, there's a lot that it, it, again, so it's kind of more of like, I felt like there was, you know, I had this expectation of a little bit more that really just didn't play out. It just kind of, kind of played it straight as in my mind, like she kind of stayed safe, kind of like, you know, went down the road and that. So, um, so I did go through that. It was a nice little palate cleanser. Um, and an interest, again, I think there's some interesting plot things there that you could take away from it and like, Oh, this is interesting. Uh, interesting ideas for whether that seeds, other stories or RPGs or other stuff like that. So, yeah, it was um, it was a book that I, I think was so far from what I had been reading that at the time where I was reading it, I, I really enjoyed that story. And I know it was it was fun kind of seeing your your commentary on it and uh, reading through it. And and you know, in in hindsight, I think as I was listening and and taking it in, I enjoyed it more. And when I'm going back and thinking about it, um, but I also think I'm I'm always so I, I studied film and I, I really love the idea of adaptation and like screenplays, and I I think this book would make just a really great movie, and I think that's part of how I listen to it as well as like I I tend to be very visual when I listen to an audiobook, like picturing what's happening, and I was thinking about oh how how I would shoot that or how I would you know, how the scene is described and seeing it through a a camera versus like words on page for me is, is kind of how I approach. And I think visually it, it, uh, Victoria Schwab, V V E Schwab did a very good job of describing things from that, like 
the artist's eye, the cinematographer's lens, you know, like seeing Addie in the room and then talking about how doors and losing line of sight for her curse or sorry to, you know, break any spoiler ish type stuff here, but like how important angles and seeing someone is to what affects her and her curse. I, I had a very like visual response to, to the book. And I think that was a, a big part of it for me. Um, how about, uh, Bryce, any more Sandman slim, any, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, does it matter that Craig is gone? We don't, we don't talk about Craig. Oh, okay. I don't know. Troy can cut that out, but he hung up on us. <laughs> yeah. Craig, um, he's all right. Craig, Craig had to go. Um, but I, yeah, I he had a family I have, emergency. I have other. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I read Sandman, uh, actually two Sandman Slim books since we last recorded five and six. So I'm on seven. Oh, you're currently. ahead of me now. You passed me. I loved five. Five is probably my favorite so far. It's uh, they, It takes place in an old abandoned super mall. Did you read that one, Ty? The last one I read was The Hell. Um Oh, okay. So that's you haven't read that one with yet. With the then. generals and he is yep. Lucifer. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's so you got you're quite a ways behind me now. Um but anyway, it, it's it's just super cool and in the Friday night game that we play with Paul, we've been talking about like abandoned stuff and how cool of a story it makes. And the whole thing is about people who have moved into or taken residence in this abandoned mall and they're, you know, demons and entities that aren't meant for the world. And they're all, there's just communities within this abandoned mall and they're trying to get to the basement of the mall to get something from it. And I just, I had so much fun. There's so many callbacks to like, you know, the super malls of the nineties the and early two thousands where they were just over the top. And, you know, there's still this center of the mall where Christmas decorations are out and just over the top. And it's just, it was really enjoyable. And then I, I read the one after that, which was also really enjoyable. And that the series just really, really does it for me. So that's, uh, I haven't decided if I'm starting seven or if I'm going to slide something in between and then come back to it. Cause pretty soon I'm going to be caught up and then I'm going to be in that awkward position. Like I, like I got to, um, with the book that's slipping my mind that Troy wants us to, to deep dive into <laughs> the night, what are Kings? What's it? Kings, dark tidings. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Um, Bryce, I, I think there's 10 books in the Sandman Slim collection. And I don't know that Kadri has, Richard Kadri, the author, has any plans to return to it. I feel like it might be the, the 10 oh, really? book series. I, I think. Or if he does, it's been a while because he's written like two or three other books since returning to Sandman Slim. And I, I don't know yeah. that he has plans to when I look at like what you know, what press there is about his release schedule, but that'll be something to, I'll be interested to see, but I feel like he kind of tried to wrap it up in the 10 books, but I, I don't know. Cause I, I haven't read the second, the back <laughs> half of the yeah. series. I'm excited to come cool. back to that series. Um, I'm kind of still catching up on Dresden. Um, and I don't even know if I talked about, I, I squeeze in a Dresden book here somewhere along the line too. Um, but that's my series to make it through. And it, it kind of fills my, urban fantasy <laughs> slot in my books. And yeah. so when that, I get through that, then I'll probably come back to 
um, to Sandman Slim because I I read the first one and I really enjoyed it. Like it, it just like the humor and the characters. It's really good. Man, I think I, I think I'm gonna have to start this. It, it it's so oh, you good. would like it a yeah. lot. Josh. They're so they're so fun to listen like to, and the character Sandman Slim is he's just you, you feel like a connect not a connection but like yeah he just gets crapped on so hard by life and like other stuff and he doesn't do anything to to really help himself he's just kind of jaded and like what he says yeah. to people is is just <laughs> hilarious at times right i think yeah the dialogue his dialogue is just fun. like you you have the laugh out loud you know where you, especially like if you're listening and you're in round you just laugh out loud and oh yeah people, people i look, look at like you a fool and, walking right, i'm yeah, sure because right, i'm yeah. just laughing yeah. <laughs> so it, it's like pretty loud really <laughs> all right i'm 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 gonna I'm gonna do it. It's it's they're they're shorter it. listens too. They're they're like some of them are only eight hours, some are twelve hours, but they're not long. Yeah, so it's pretty yeah. easy to. That's at one point two five or whatever. But it's it's so normal quick. normal mode. That's the secret the secret audible speed. Yeah, you up it to one point two or one point three to shorten up the lengthy books. <laughs> well, um, well, I haven't done any reading recently, and so that's that's a perfect. Uh, Perfect thing to grab here, but um, I, for whatever reason, I've gotten into the Alone uh, series. Oh yeah, uh, you know they drop people in remote the, the Alaska. Arctic, usually, yeah, yeah. Um, Season seven was a banger. Yeah, I just finished that up, so that was that was what I I've Ro- been watching. Roland was pretty awesome. He he's the man. He was pretty good. Rock Rock House Rock House man. It's worth it's worth a watch if you guys are into like any kind of outdoorsy, survivally type stuff. It's yeah, it's pretty good. That's good. Yeah, I've heard the that recommendation for a couple other people too. Even what just like one of my neighbors randomly for some reason. So mm-hmm. so yeah, must yeah. Be. There's a, there's a couple seasons on Netflix. So yeah, it's it's worth a it's worth checking out at least uh, an episode or two to see if you'd be into it. So all right, so that's the library. I think we're going to take a brief break. I'm going to get a coconut porter. um, And then we'll be back for our uh, kind of around the horn uh, host, V host, V host, V host, Q&A interview extravaganza. So we will be right back. And we are back here in studio and Bryce in the comfort of his own home because it's a long ways away. Um, We need him to become independently wealthy uh, and move back to the Milwaukee area so then we can start doing in-person D&D and in-person podcasting and in-person everything. I, I thought you guys just all wanted a couch now, though. That's... See, like Bryce yeah. is really is comfortable, comfortable, and he's his, like, yeah. and we've got his couch I, is very comfortable, and I've got the good chair, and you guys have got the. I've sat on that couch before. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've I've looked at that couch before. I so, think you ate on this couch. I did eat. We ordered uh, Mexican food. I think. Yeah. On one of our hobby frontier, uh, marathons, Troy, I've never been invited to Bryce's house. How about you? Yes, I have. <sighs> 
Sorry. In my house. <laughs> well, now I'm really offended. <laughs> uh, I feel like you've probably been invited and you've just yeah. ignored my invitations. That's probably accurate. <laughs> well, um, we'll have a chance, I'm sure, for some get-togethers here in the, the coming months where we can all sample the couch. <laughs> that is that is the key. Yeah. It's the dogs and the couch. It's, it's like couch shopping. It's something that has to happen every so often. Um, sampling of said couches. Uh, so without more randomness and discussion about why Josh was never invited to Bryce's house because he's the least favorite host of Plan and Slan, let's get into the questions. Uh, I'm going to moderate this, um, and I'll probably participate as well because I I never can be quiet for more than a minute or two. Um, but we've got a couple of questions about various topics, and uh, we'll kind of all weigh in. And then Max Kellerman will, will assign random points and mute uh, people when they're out of time. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, Max Kellerman series. He's off in the other room upstairs with his air horn. So I think um, we've mentioned Raph a few, a few times, but where, uh, where I think it would be kind of cool to start off is kind of a, a year later, a, a retrospective on – diversity in gaming. So we spent a lot of time talking to Raph when when we had him on about inclusion and what you can do to, to diversify your space and, and gaming in general. Um, and now that we're looking about about a year back, um, you know, how how are we doing? And that can be us us personally as as a group or individuals with, you know, what we consume, what we produce, who we play with, where we play, whatever it, it might be. Um, or, you know, just just in general, what you've seen in, in gaming and uh, stores as they reopen. And, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of toxicity in social media in general. So that's not a good barometer. Um, but, you know, if you've seen anything of note. So um, I don't want to call on you guys, but Troy, I'll, I'll start with you for any kind of thoughts around this topic and revisiting our discussion with Raph. Um, Sure. And yeah, this is one that just kind of hit me because it was one of them was because I think it was about a year ago. I think it was June or July last year that we we had him on. If I'm um, correct there, I may be completely off, but I think that's about right. Um, and so I've been yeah thinking about, again, what's what have I what have I done more? It's just like, what have I done? What have I seen changes and things like that? I think the big one that came and it was a little bit of a call to action that that Raf had was like, hey, diversify who you're who's in your your inputs, right? Who's in your stream? Who are you following? Find some people who are kind of out of your norm and, and add them to your, to your, you know, for me, I, I kind of have slid away from Twitter and the Instagram has been the thing that I actually use now. And, um, and so I've tried to add some more female voices in there and in some of that space, um, things on YouTube, following some different channels of, of different, whether it's female gaming or other diverse voices in there. That's, so I've tried to do that. And I think that's actually, I, I've noticed that it's, opened me up to seeing new things I hadn't seen before. And, and, and some of those people also have shared some of their challenges <laughs> in some of the group and how things are either better or just some of the challenges they've had in that. So I think that's, that's one area that, that I've that I took from that when we, when we talked about a year ago and it's, and it's helped. I, I think it feels like we're starting to see, especially in, I know RPGs and maybe again, you open your eyes a little bit and you, when you're looking for it, you see it. Right. But it seems like you're seeing a lot, especially streaming groups and things like that who are very very diverse groups 
um, and a lot more female voices in there, a lot of people of color that you're starting to see. So I think it, it's not just us, right? I think there's a, a lot of people tried to figure out, okay, how do we kind of get a get more, reach out to more people and include them, more, more inclusive in, in all kinds of things, right? Um, through that. So I, I think that, you know, I, again, I'm trying to look at the positive in that. I think that you're, if you try, you can always see cases of things that are, are not going that and, people, and, there, and there's some blow, like, I think there was some blowback to like any things, right. There are people who are stuck into their old ways. And when things start to change, they kind of dig in and they try and be, um, be boisterous and loud to try and, uh, keep people from, from enacting change. But, uh, things there, have gone, I think going pretty good. Um, you know, one thing I look for us, there was like, again, we, we tend to be very, very bunch of, of, of white guys in our gaming group. I don't know, you know, I don't know that we have who we could have to like some, some female that would join us or anybody else like that. Um, but I think that's something we'd always look for, right? Like how do, is there somebody that would, that's around that could game with us in, in some aspects in, in that, that respect. So, um, I think, yeah, I think that's something we, we can continue to look for, right? Make sure how do we continue to to be diverse and just the, the people we game with. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, with kind of everything going on, right. And things maybe starting to open up, you know, around, uh, our communities. Um, yeah, that, that to, I'll, I'll echo what you said. Um, you know, adding people in social media or just random other inputs, right. That, um, actively looking for more diverse voices and stuff. And actually I, I, I can't remember who it was. Um, it was Eric Lang uh, recently kind of did a call to uh, I think people of color or so- something. I forget exactly what his message was, but basically saying, Hey, I want to lift up your voices. Let me know if you're in the gaming industry and you're producing something or you're a content creator or you're developing a game or whatever. Right. Um, I want to lift up your voices. And I, that kind of resonated with me, um, you know, it was very recent, like in the last couple of days. And so that kind of um, resonated with Raf's message to us, right? Like to kind of look for that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I thought that was kind of kind of neat. So I think it was Eric Lang. I could be wrong. But yeah, anyway, it's something another, he would do, right? <laughs> yeah. Another really cool thing that, that happened, I think, is the Warhammer community team hired a female uh, paint Presenter. teacher yeah. in um louise and so and she's just an incredible painter so definitely well deserved but i think it's super awesome that they did that to to diversify you know the the biggest brand in miniatures uh and the the content they put out to see her there is is awesome well i i think you know it's it's always with games workshop sometimes it's it's too little and too late. You know, they, they've have a long history, but they're, they're starting to do these things. And, and I, I think seeing that is, is big. And the other one, which is, is relatively big, you know, there, there's always been like sisters of battle, but they were isolated. There's the new Imperial guard, uh, has, you know, female guards, like yep. guards, women, like there's representation in a model line that historically has had zero representation. Um, and you see, you know, some of the the painting of the the box art. You're starting to see, you know, representation of of non non white, you know, um, skin tones, and like it's little, but it is it's a step, and and that I think is is important. Um, and then the other one from a, a relatively 
what had been pretty white, uh, although male and female representation was there, Critical Role uh, did a new limited campaign um, called Exandria Unlimited, and Matt Mercer handed off the the reins to um, Abria Ayengar, and I'm probably slaughtering the pronunciation. You did better than I would have. So um, good. But a a black female GM. Um, there are, I, I think, one Latina, um, and then you know a couple couple females, yep. and then Matt Mercer playing and. Um, you know, I, I think Critical Role has always tried to be inclusive in the charity work they do, and and um, but this is a, a huge step in the the right direction, just to get a different voice. Um, <clears throat> you know, from a representation standpoint in the in the GM chair for the the campaign. Um, I haven't I haven't watched, but I know they just had their first episode. I think Thursday yep. last week, um, and they're going to do eight or nine. Yeah, I think it's uh, an eight. It's just a, it's like an eight episode short run. I did. I tuned in just for whatever a half hour or so when I was doing stuff um, on Thursday because I had saw I, the trailers and everything were so yeah. exciting. And then how they introduced the characters. I, yeah, I was super excited again, just in the critical role space, but also seeing how they've uh, diversified it and just seeing Matt hand off the reins to you know his baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. interesting too. But. Um. So I mean, those those are bigger. I mean, and and personally, I I think. I've, I've tried to educate myself a lot more and just kind of that I don't want to repeat the mantra of everyone is listen, you know, and, and learn, but, um, following different people on, on Twitter. Um, I can't think of her last name, but Suzanne, it's like the, the gaming, um, four, two, five, four, two, five, Suzanne, uh, looking at her follows, finding some others, um, and just trying to to add, so what I'm getting on Twitter isn't all the same that that it had been over the last year. Um, and then it's also helping me block and mute a number of relatively toxic voices. You know, when the the mansplainers hop into a thread and start, you know, <laughs> saying, "Well, actually, like block and mute." Like I've just had a healthier experience from reducing kind of the clutter of social media. Um, and then reading, you know, I, I mentioned v, uh, Victoria Schwab, Rebecca Kwong, you know, trying to um, trying to add just some different voices from the the white male authors that I had read for years, you know, and intersperse um, because you get different. You truly get a different experience from your reading when the voice is, is different, even if the world is different or the story is different. Um, you just you get a different view, I think, from a, a different voice in, in literature. And, and that's been really important for me, too. And, and now I'm consciously making those choices when I look at fiction and upcoming books to, to select and read. So um, it's 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 hard. You know, it's not it, it's not easy to to change kind of the habits you fall into. Um, but you know, it's important. And I think that's been my experience for the last year is just putting some effort into, um, taking in different content. Yeah. I like how you said it, Ty, like you have that. I think that's the trick is you, you just have to put, you have to exert energy in that direction because everything it's changing a little bit, but if not, if you swing into the default, it's going to, swing you into the maid, you know, it's, you're not going to get that right. Mm -hmm. You just have to have a a little bit of that conscious energy to like, Hey, I'm going to consciously make sure I'm, I'm being more inclusive. I'm looking for 
things like that. And, but it's not a lot. It's just like having that awareness and then putting a little bit of energy in it to kind of open your blinders a little bit. Um, and just make sure and realize when you are kind of, oh, I'm, I'm kind of in the default default stream. And that means I'm just getting kind of the, the generic thing. And that, uh, that is not very diverse. Yeah. And I mean, I, I want to be very clear that it's not like hard work. I mean, there's, there's a, a significant struggle and adversity that is faced by people that are, you know, <laughs> of color, female, like this, th- I say it's hard, but it, it's not, it's just, it's a conscious effort. It's, yeah. it's, you know, taking, taking that step. It's not like I'm facing challenges and adversity by doing so. It's just that, you know, I, I got to check myself and, and it's important to do that, that checking of, of oneself. And I think, the the world of of gaming could benefit from everybody kind of just taking that that step back and saying i need to listen to more people i need to open up kind of my own my own horizons and and see and hear it feels good we should get raf back and <laughs> let him let him weigh in too we'll have to get some commentary from yep. from him <laughs> um I'm going to, I'm going to change the the tune a little. I know that was um, relatively serious, but I'm going to go to a a bit of a, a a would you rather. And it it really, it's a question I've been thinking about a lot as I'm GMing a couple of different games right now. Um, And that's player agency. Um, It's letting the the players kind of drive the story and, and throwing events based on their actions so it, it's kind of a would you rather of of playing, you know, RPGs. Uh, and that is, would you rather just be told no, given like a no, that's not happening? Or uh, hear the GM kind of chuckle and then say, well, he can try anything once. Um, and and <laughs> to have that that agency, and it can be a direct action. It could be, you know, going and exploring a, a place that may not even, the GM may not have prepared or thought out, but like... Um, I guess how much how much choice is too much versus um you know just being told no you can't go there you can't do that. I think as long as it's clear what the player's expectations and the DM's expectations of what the player wants to do and I think as long as that um social contract is there yeah I mean you know, if 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 the player's like, "Can I push this button that says danger?" and you're like, "I mean, it says danger as long as you realize it says danger," <laughs> and they push the button, you know, like I I think as long as yeah that that is in play, then yeah, I mean, you can try anything once. I I would say, but but I, I like I get where the DM will sometimes pump the brakes and be like. Mm, you know, maybe you want to rethink that, you know, you don't want to have that feel bad experience. Right. So as a DM, I, I, you know, I think that's kind of a, there's that, that line, right. Um, of where. Yeah. I mean, it's letting the halfling try to cut off a frost giant's ear. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and only killing one party member. Yeah. Not yeah. The whole party. I mean, yeah. he knew what he was <laughs> doing yeah. and he knew how dangerous it was. And you were like, Yes, let's do this. All right, roll for it. <laughs> There's always a chance. Yeah, he wanted to push the danger button. Uh, that was cool. <laughs> yep. Yep. He broke the glass to hit the danger button. 
Bryce, what what are your thoughts on player agency and and when is it too much choice or freedom versus what's the the right balance? I I love letting the players do the crazy stuff and seeing what comes from it. I think in D and D, it sometimes is maybe a little harder to to allow for the craziest of crazy ideas to to execute. But I think some in storyteller, for example, some of the some of the crazy ideas that you would come up with with Blair would <laughs> would create storylines that I don't think any of us, uh, Paul included, would ever even think of. And and the player making this crazy act or trying to do this crazy thing or just walking down the street you didn't think they'd walk down i think that leads to some of the coolest moments and it also i think opens up your creativity too because sometimes you know in the modules that there are it it's very much you know here's the path we're going down but if we go somewhere that's not in the book i know it creates work for you but it's fun to see you kind of have to improvise and, and make up a story to go with what we choose to do. So I think I think it just leads to more creativity and, and, and more fun for everyone when players just do what they want to do. Players going to play. Yeah. As someone who does a lot of stupid stuff in the game. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Troy? Um, I'll be, I don't know, I guess I'll be a little contrary. Um, again, I, I think, there's definitely player agency definitely in the things we're talking about around player actions and things like that. I think it's a little bit like you're saying, Josh, around what is that, that social contract with not just, you know, not just the player, but with the group. Right. Cause I, I think you can get a little bit where maybe one person really wants is taking a little bit of spotlight or really trying to drive something over there. And the other people just like, no, can't we just go to the top, you know? And, but I think it sometimes that works itself out within the group. But I think that's where, again, a GM maybe has to kind of, if he's seeing that he doesn't have a balance within the group, right, that's where. Kind of play referee a little right, bit. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, maybe we're not going to go down, like, because it feels like, you know, you're, you're in. So I, I think there's, it, it's a tough line, right? You're trying to, to balance that. Uh, and again, even in, like, again, the module kind of stuff, like, where's the line between how, how often do you do the side kind of things versus kind of let's keep where do we kind of keep moving the story or figure out what the mystery is and, and some of that and where is where are all the players heads at in, in some of that space so um so I, I don't think you ever want to hear no right it's but it's like there is there's a there's a box and you know i think even anyway, there there probably should be some right? there is a box that you're working within and it's just like how big is that box and i think sometimes it depends on what did people talk about like hey this is going to be very much free form sandbox kind of stuff um or okay we're kind of in a module but we're going to have we're going to loosen the, the the edges of that module in the story because depending on what the what the group wants to do or it could be like hey we just want to go through the module and see what the story is right um through some of those so uh that's i think what makes each one of the <laughs> the role playing experiences fun so that that's kind of where my head's at i i asked the the question because i've been thinking a lot about <clears throat> so there's a style of of campaign called the west marches campaign i don't know if any of you are familiar with that but the concept is usually it's a larger group of players can be a dozen can be 18 and it's whoever's available on a week and the, the players kind of set the agenda and sometimes there's multiple gms too 
but it it often is in a border kingdom that's unexplored. You come to the central town and then it's like a player says, well, you know, there's this group of ogres that are waylaying people on the North Road or whatever. We want to go take care of that. And it it's this kind of player GM collaboration to to build the campaign, but it's more episodic in in nature so that like if six people are there that week, they can play and do the session. The GM puts it together um, and they go. But it's that that idea of this kind of living, breathing, you know, border kingdom style um, play where it's not explored. You don't know what is 10 miles north. You don't know what's 10 miles west, east, whatever, like um, so that you can kind of create it as you go. So it's less overarching, arcing narrative, more, you know, think like spokes going out from a wheel of, of the town and finding places. So it, it's been a thought experiment. I don't know that I've got the, the, the time and energy to, to do something <laughs> like that, but as the D and D groups, cause so another thing that, you know, I haven't talked about in playing, but I started running a, um, a candle keep game with Matt, Elena, our friend John, and actually have Bryce in it. And that book is not written as a true module. It's it's very an adventure per level given a book. But I've created uh, they're like an investigation unit hired by the librarians of Candlekeep to explore dangerous material and acquire things and do whatever. So it's taking this more kind of free form, loosely connected narratives from the players, and, and that that's how I'm trying to frame it because I'm not ready to do like a full no holds barred. West March yeah. style campaign, yeah. but but it gives all right. I, yeah, I mean we could yeah probably have a whole episode on it, right? I think it you could you, you could do it. It feels like there could be a way where you do it where it's actually less work, right? Where where you have like a set of material, like a really built out world, and then but now and you just take slices of that, yeah, for for an episode, right? Um, so some something to think about. Someday, maybe in the future, I'll use my my Sundering campaign world for this in a, a random part of it as a, you know, get 10 players and see who we get yep. week to week. All right. Um, you know, we'll we'll stay on the, the GM, but this this doesn't have to be role playing. I think, Josh, this might be one you prepared. But the, the question is, what are some things you try to do when running a game with people you might not know to make it enjoyable for everyone? So we've talked about the con experience, and and I think this is really the the road this goes down because it's not often outside of a convention you're playing with a group of of strangers. Um, but I know uh, I, I think pretty much all of us, ex- with the exception of maybe Bryce, have run like a con game. But Bryce has had the Age of Sigmar kind of tournament tournament organizer and ringer experience. So I think there's there's some comparison there for how you make the game enjoyable for for someone that you may not know, or how do you get in an argument with someone you don't know because they're an overbearing <laughs> neckbeard. Um, but I'll, I'll open the floor for, for that one. And I'll, I'll actually start um, kind of, I, I think that the key is preparing a good game, having a good, you know, a good outline framework um, because what you don't want to do is sit down and, and just say, I'm not really sure how this works. Let's give it a go and be uncertain and be, you know, kind of like ill-prepared. 
so I think it's it's the work beforehand that helps a lot, and then it's it's being willing to to teach to go back to those the gnome code that you mentioned just a few things about you know learning teaching and then you know seeing where people are at and, and helping them some of the initial turns of the game or you know first few interactions helping walk them through some possibilities is is important josh any any thoughts of yours there um i'll bring it to attitude like if you're friendly whether you're uh, you know running the game or wh- whether you're a player and you're you're willing participant and you're you know willing to help and and teach and and whatnot um yeah i mean i i think that goes a long way in making everyone feel comfortable at the table and, and make everybody um want to be there and and um I mean, there's a lot of different avenues to this question, right? But mm-hmm. I'll I'll take it from from just a positive attitude standpoint. Like, that's uh, I th- I think that's paramount. Troy, any thoughts uh, from from your standpoint? Uh, a, a lot of th- I mean, people have, I've pontificated about Space Hulk and everything I've learned from twenty years of running that game. And again, and it's been a you know a big learning experience. But I, I think if you kind of just take it of like when you sit down and playing any kind of whether a con game and we've all done that. Um I think a little bit like you were saying, Josh, just like there's some basic sometimes it's basic social norms that you yeah. need to like <laughs> and and you know God bless all wonderful uh gamer people, but they tend to be sometimes super introverted. Like sometimes it's just like can we just like introduce ourselves like at yeah, the table? Right. <laughs> like, yep. Just and a so, quick around the just table. Just like quick around the table. And again, it's kind of like, okay, now everybody's real people and yep. I don't have to say, hey, you, I can, you know, I can go, oh, Josh, it's your turn or Josh, do you, do you, or Josh, I'm helping you, right? Hey, have you played, you know, right. kind of things like that. So I think there's, yeah, it's kind of just creating that positive attitude, some basic social norms a lot of times, um, and then figuring out where you know, where that line is on, um, especially again, if you take it in just like, Hey, we're all coming together to pay, play a board game and it may be a bunch of random people. Um, you know, that line around helping without overhelping. Right. Yeah. And, and just, and understanding, like, it's kind of funny. I'll go back to sports and I don't know Bryce, if you it's like, um, and I, when I play volleyball, you know, and I played volleyball at a very high level, I coached at a high level. When I would go play rec ball, I would never I would never coach anyone. I would never tell unless they asked me, unless they you know knew or they wanted ever. Um, because you can get. And I've seen the other words where other people are like, "Oh, you're not doing this right," and hold your. And they're like, "These persons are here to have fun." Yeah, they're not here for you to give them a lesson in whatever this sport is. And so that's something I've taken again from from sports. Is the same thing. Like I said, in a board game, you can offer and you can like whatever, but you should you shouldn't like. I think sometimes you see that we're trying. People are almost overly helpful. Yeah. Um, and trying to teach a new person a game, or you're not doing it right, or what's the strategy? We're not going to like. We're just yeah. here to have fun. So. Yeah, if somebody's stuck, I like to try to give yeah. options. Like, well, right. you could do this, 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 or this, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Leave it open-ended so that they can make their yeah. own decision. Yeah. Bryce, how about from the, um, like, the AOS or the, the miniature gaming standpoint, tournaments or, you know, in a shop playing with somebody new to, to kind of make it, you know, a more enjoyable or more accessible experience? Yeah, I always start by having just a, just 
kind of a little conversation at the beginning to try to get a feel for what aspect of the game they're interested in because there's kind of like the three really broad categories right the the hobby side of that uh, hobby uh the competitive side of the hobby and the narrative side of the hobby and then when you know that you can kind of play with that because i think everyone whether whether you're a hardcore gamer or that just is there to win or someone that it's just there to have fun. You you have a connection to your army, and you and in your head you have this concept that you why you put it together. So I always I like to you know have challenge people to duels and make the game fun and on the table and give them opportunities to, especially when you're in the ringer role to because you're playing the people who have the worst record in the, at the tournament or what what it might whatever it might be. Um, to give them an opportunity to really have that model that they love shine or that tell that story that they're looking to tell. So I find it really helpful to just have that little conversation to get to know the person and, and know why they're there. And, and usually then we spend more time in the game talking and, and kind of shooting the crap than worrying too much about the rules and, and then how many inches we have to move. <laughs> Excellent. I think uh, there's a good segue to this this next topic too. From how do you make it more enjoyable? To to what are some things that you've experienced or or could experience in a, in a game or even a gaming group if it's an RPG or a you know a gaming club if it's miniature games, whatever it might be, um, that that shuts you down the most. You know, like that make you want to check out or make you want to stop playing. Is it you know? in kind of broad categories there, the, the rules, you know, overly focused on how things work and, um, and that, the, the attitudes of the people you're playing with, the, the themes of the game, the mechanics, what, you know, what are some, some things personally that, that just shut you down or turn off the interest in, in participating in, in various games or, um, or gaming groups. We're going to make you go first. time. <laughs> um, so in in person uh role playing is cell phones or not not active engagement i get taking a break but like um see this at cons um you know more often than not but it's that somebody just appears to totally be checking out and and not staying engaged um and to me, gaming like I'm, I'm pretty hardcore. You know, I'll I'll play games for 24 hours straight, and be all in, or go to a tournament and play three long games, and then you know just be be focused. Like, um, and I, and I think I don't want to call it disrespectful, because you might have something very important. There might be you know a, uh, you know a. a a message from a family emergency or what like so i don't i don't want to say like phones phones go in a basket and nobody gets it like that type <laughs> but i think again with the social there's a way to do that though yeah there's a way to say i need to step away there's a hey i got it like you just ignite instead of disengaging and and everyone kind of right has no context again i've seen it seen it work well right where somebody just kind of can quickly say oh i have to take this or this is whatever or excuse me like they apologize sorry i have to do this i'm still here i'm listening right it simple things that can yeah, help you little, do it, right? little yep. cues yeah um and, and i think that that behavior at a tabletop like if if i'm gming 
we've done a lot over the last year and a half and even before that because of like people in different locations of of like discord and but i can tell when somebody's not engaged and and it's not always the same person and might even be one of you guys once in a while but like i can tell when a player when a player is not actively engaged and it it bugs me a little bit more than it probably should like um and it's not like i'm matt mercer i'm not you know a an expert or a performer like doing this i'm not like hey look at me i'm telling you a story entertain let me entertain you because that's that's not the type of play i like but like that that probably is what irks me the most like if if i can just tell somebody is not engaged in the game that i'm running um and part of it is because i start assessing myself i'm very like critical you know of what i'm doing like well why am i boring you what am i not providing (laughs) um does the story suck is this encounter lame what like what am i doing wrong that is making you not care about what's happening in in the game um and then when i'm a player it's you know the same i want to show the same respect to my my gm and i'm guilty of it too there there are times playing mage with paul where i see a text pop up and i i check it you know and i feel bad but like it's just kind of that preparing yourself mentally for a few hours to focus on the the game at hand in in aos tournaments there's the guys that like they're just not interested in interaction they want to do their stuff and then walk away or fiddle with their phone while you're doing your stuff like i don't know that's probably the number one for me that drives me nuts the phone people at tournaments and then this is something i recently just encountered is the significant other at a tournament sitting next to you and you're just engaged with the significant other the whole time (laughs) ignoring the person on the other side of the table and that i just I, i can't believe that people would think to do that no, it, it's, I mean, I'm going back a little bit, but I had the same thing with a 40K where it wasn't a significant, it was just a friend. Like he, his friend came to watch whatever. And the guy basically never, he talked to him all the time and ne- like, and never just kind of rolled dice and pointed at me, you know, like didn't engage with me at all. He talked to this friend all the time, you know, oh, look at how he didn't, you know, and he was playing the game. It just, he was not, he, he like didn't interact yeah. with me except to like, hey, I killed that model, right? Um, I think I'm usually rude to my friends that come up to me when I'm playing a game or I'm like, yeah, or it's like super short answers, like leave me alone. I'm trying to give this guy my time or girl my time. And so I I usually, sorry if I'm ever rude to you guys, but it's usually like, (laughs) get away. Yeah. How about yeah. any anything else, Josh? For me, it's it's attitude. Yeah. So I mean, it kind of dovetails a little bit off of what you guys are saying, but um, and it kind of off my last answer, so I apologize. But um, yeah, I mean, the more <laughs> really engaging or friendly or whatever at the table uh, people are, um, the more enjoyment I get out of the game, even if I lose. Like I, I'd, I'd rather have a a fun experience with someone and get crushed than, you know, totally trounce over someone and know that nobody had fun. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I think the only thing I'll, I'll just kind of add and, and not maybe non miniature kind of stuff is, uh, you know, there's been a few, very few, luckily, right. On on like a con (laughs) game. And it's been what I think Ty, you had mentioned is, just the person who's actually running it, you can tell actually 
put little or no effort into yeah. it, right? And, and again, it's a little bit deflating. You sit down and they're like, oh, well, here's what we're going to do. And I'm not quite sure how to whatever. And that's initially, you're just kind of deflated. Like, oh, no. Yeah. And some, you know, every once in a while, like you actually salvage those things because maybe the group actually kind of together, they're like, all right, well, the, the guy who's running the game doesn't know anything, but we all know stuff. So let's let's make it fun <laughs> for us, right? Uh, so I've seen it where we've salvaged a game in, in some respects like that. Um, but then there's other times like, Oh, this one then go, how can we turn this four hour slot into a two hour slot and go do something else more fun? Right? <laughs> well, so, so that's, that's an interesting point. And I will say there was one time where the rules of a game shut me down to the point where I just, I needed an out and I had to leave. And that was at Nexus a few years ago where Brian and I, Brian Nairo and I got sucked into that crazy guys. <laughs> The plane game? <laughs> World War II <laughs> plane game. And we were just looking at each other as as he's telling us how things happen and then saying, oh, but no, no, then, no, then my plane does this and flipping through his binder and where I was I was so confused and lost. Um, and I hadn't had that much to drink at that point. I was probably four yeah. beers in <laughs> where Brian and I could not find a quicker way away from that that game, uh-huh. that demo. It was it was just so convoluted and weird and I mean when your game has a binder of rules like a full on like giant binder and I don't I don't think that was the only one I think there was multiple I like I have serious like PTSD to that that game in that moment (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's the only time the rules of a game have have shut me down to the point where I I could not fathom another five minutes at that table there and I don't don't want to pick on anything there is this weird I should I just I just called them weird and I shouldn't have right there is this very historical simulation kind of group I don't know if you like you brush up against it every once in a while I I, I think like I, this guy seems like a little bit although there might be something else going on with somebody with uh, a little bit of too much detail or something but I, I've had that too where I'd like play a historical game and I went and and it just like the guy running it, like everything was just, you know, super detailed. Oh, this, and this is like a Zulu attack kind of thing. Could have been a really fun scenario about getting ambushed and trying to get your 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 guys through a Zulu attack. Instead, it was just this bog of of not knowing, you know, you couldn't do the right thing because you didn't know the rule. And he kept, you know, oh, well, you should have known that these guys are in the grass and you should have <laughs> had a scout out there to find it. And like, well, this is the first time I'm playing like it. Um, but it, you know, and I don't know, you know, I think there is this kind of historical miniature, like super rules, yeah. people who really love it, like they love it, but they're immersed in it and it just doesn't translate to people who are new, yeah. <laughs> who are just there's, coming into it. Like X, Y axis of, of the more in-depth historical miniature and the, the more complexity and just needing to cross reference and cross index okay. the rules to make sense of the game. Like. Mm-hmm. there's a line yep. like yep. there's a direct yep. correlation there yeah so that that's that's rules for me um i going back to that moment i <laughs> i want to i want to like call brian and say hey do you, do you remember <laughs> that one time at nexus that we <laughs> we played a historical air combat game and had oh. to i think we had to make up an excuse to to like end it or we like flew our planes into each other knowing that we would then blow up like 
there was some just quick exit where we had to pull the the cord and just get out (laughs) as you guys were all like just watching us look miserable and i think enjoying the the miserable experience we were having yeah, well, I think I was running Space Hulk, and you guys, you were guys were kind of touring around or whatever and got caught up in the... <laughs> in the orbit, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that wow. That Nexus was something else. There was that... I wish... We, why aren't we should know the year, because it was a classic at, yeah. the, at the Hyatt in Milwaukee. Yeah. We, I think we, I got we, a picture of that interaction, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> We'd have to find it. There's an old episode, I think, where we yeah relive that. So. Yeah, it might even been before Plane and Slam. Right, it might be an old. Then it might have been a game games booze. booze in the art of. All right, next. So a while back now, um, Troy, you posted this, and and I don't have the credit of who. Yeah, I don't uh, remember exactly where it came from. It was uh, um, this, uh, and maybe I can. I'll give a little context, right? This is kind of in the scheme of what there was something that came out that was called There Is No They. Um, and it was really a response. It was, an, a, I believe it was a Kickstarter kind of update. And at the bottom of the update of like, and I can't remember exactly which game it was or whatever. He just kind of, at the end, the person kind of had this thing just that just an said, open letter. an open letter just said, hey, there is no they. Like yeah. when you're when you're talking about they're trying to screw us. They're not, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'll I'll read. I think it's important yep. that for for context, this is the the statement, and we'll talk a little bit about this because I I think it's that thinking of a group or a designer as as a they this like lurking kind of shadow organization that's out out to take your money. Um, <laughs> but it, it reads: I have one small request. Don't call us they in the comments. It really bothers me. Don't call us they. When you write, they should X or I cancel my pledge if they don't Y and so on and so forth. There is no they. There is no secret smoking man. There is no secret villain like in a James Bond movie trying to make you mad and rob you. There is no they. There is me and my team. Young, amazing, passionate people, 200% dedicated to this campaign. Staying here all day long, every weekday and every weekend, adjusting the campaign and tweaking it for you. Um. So, I, I mean, that, you know, the concept of Kickstarter and different projects is is important because I I agree with, and I'll share my thoughts. I, I agree with this to some extent, and I, I disagree with this in, in other places. I think there are, there are companies that I very much enjoy and have some excellent design folks, but companies using Kickstarter as a vehicle, they don't, they don't yeah. really need to use <laughs> any longer. It's not to to prioritize funding for a small independent project. It's not. It's it's just how uh, the company chooses to to do business, almost as a, a pre order, and and you know mass produce a game and get a huge amount of marketing from from the Kickstarter and, and launch it. And I mean, I I play a ton of Simon games, but they're a company to me that has advanced well beyond the business need to do a Kickstarter, um, and has the capital to to fund their own setup and do their own pre-order system um so when i use the term they for a a kickstarter project you know they just do this as a gimmick or they just want to get my money i think it's accurate for for cmon and yes companies like that now 
the uh, I think a recent one that is is very important. So Isaac uh, Vega and Lindsay um, can't think of her last name now um, started uh, a small game company and did a Kickstarter for Keystone North America. Successful Kickstarter, but you know, um, not not like a two million dollar return, but an, an incredible. A game designer and and both of them are, are good designers with a cool cool idea for a company now them i think it would be a, a discredit to to refer to them as they in this like this secret wanting to take your money mm-hmm. no they're they're an independent duo that are trying to start something new don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're sitting on to you know to start up using Kickstarter for, for a launch, um, you know, as, as they need to. Um, (laughs) so, so I, I, I think there's that, there's that David and Goliath kind of, you know? Yeah. Yep. And I think the company is called Rose Gauntlet. Yeah. 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 I was going to say Rose Guild. Yeah. I was, it was rattling around in my head and then I, it, it clicked. So, yeah. But yeah, exactly. Like, the, the giant companies versus the little people, right? The the smaller companies. Uh, I th- I think there's a perfect place for a they versus uh people that are dedicated to tr- just trying to get this thing going. Yeah. Yeah, and I I totally agree. That, you know, when my mind went, yeah, it's like you kind of have the Simons, right? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have other people. It may be interesting, maybe for Bryce's like. Awakened Realms is interesting, <laughs> right? They're in that, and, but because they're they right, are they. <laughs> I I don't. I, this is I'll, I'll challenge that a little bit, right? I think if you look at look at at Awakened Realms, yes, they kind of have the that's their business models. We're going to keep doing Kickstarters, but I think I don't know. You look behind the scenes; they're probably not. They're not that many people. They're not that you know. And each one of those projects kind of has a set a very finite set of people that are working on them to get done and, and they have different challenges. Now, whether, you know, have they learned anything over time and, and maybe they shouldn't have as many challenges as they have, but maybe some of that is because they're not, they are not huge, right? They're, yeah. um, now they're growing and they're starting to, you know, they're, they may become a CMON and someday, but I think that's also a little bit of maybe some of that messaging is like, I think people not, if you don't know a lot, like you, you may just assume, here's this big company. They have a, a million right. dollar or whatever, a hundred thousand dollar Kickstarters. They must be some big company. They must have, right. And you look behind the scenes and we've, you know, know enough people in some industry, like some of these companies are not that big at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it is three or four yeah. folks in a two, two room apartment <laughs> using their garage to mm-hmm. store stuff. I mean, yep. And, and it's not a direct, um, well, comparison, but I don't know if anybody, if you watch like Wormwood and their, their vlog, I, I, I think it's always interesting again, how transparent they are, which is amazing, but you just, you see a little bit of the like day to day, they have to make decisions. There's things, there are things, the roadblocks that come into them and they have to decide what to do. And they know that this decision is never going to make everyone happy. They're always making a choice between what's best for the company? How do we actually make sure we can deliver what we're going to deliver without, we know that there's going to be some people who are not going to be happy and how do we just deal with that and move forward? And 
these companies are making every these small game companies are doing that same thing every day knowing like yeah. okay how do we balance this well, thing? I, th I think the other thing that that drives me nuts and this just might be me being hypercritical of of people um there's there's this weird sense of entitlement that i think <laughs> um gamers more than anything that i've seen get about kickstarting something or you know purchasing a game where there's this like ownership mentality in the in the ip or in the product i i see it a, t a ton it's all over the place with games workshop 40k and aos players like feeling like they own what the game is and and i get it it's it's important and it it's a big part of your life a lot of time and dedication but that is not equivalent to actual ownership being a stockholder being an employee of a company being whatever it might be where there's there's ownership you know and workers uh at the risk of sounding like a a socialist or a communist you know the the production worker there's an ownership in your your product. I think you know. There's 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 a pride. Yeah, there, there there's you made this, you designed this, you did that. Purchasing a game doesn't does not give you the same level of of ownership or investment. Yeah. Um, you want to to truly be an owner of a product, invest actual money in the company, and take ownership of profits and business decisions. Backing a Kickstarter, I'm sorry, you know, customer A on the internet right. doesn't give you the right to disparage and like be critical because of business decisions the company makes or right. rules decisions the company makes. Um, and, and, you know, hot take, like if if you don't like it, don't buy the game, don't play the game. And I hate being that guy that says if you don't like it, there's the door. But really, like if you don't like it, why do you keep right doing it if it's that big of a problem there are thousands of other choices mm -hmm. and there are other like hundreds of different ways you can go with your consumer dollar to waste the time of putting comments in a kickstarter thread about what the company is <laughs> doing and or you know launching a a flame war on online like and what's worse is is when they have the dollar back you know just a um, comment yeah where, where <laughs> hey you know throw in a dollar and then you can watch it but those are the biggest flamers right <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah there is i get yeah i mean you try that it's one of those things that just like youtube comments yeah how kickstarter comments like how far down that thread do you ever want to go and like, <laughs> it's a train wreck in some respect but i it was i think there was a recent one it was just actually a, a 3d printing one and uh and I was amazed that they um, they actually got at uh, how much they actually took in the feedback. Because I like thought, oh, this is a pretty good, straightforward campaign. Looks pretty happy. It's good. There were some comments in there. And I, again, give them a ton of credit. Uh, they took a lot of the feedback so, in. They re they, yeah, so they revamped it. They added new team and stuff. I'm like, I don't like, wow, I felt above and beyond. Like, I didn't think you guys needed to do that. Like, you were, you were doing well. Again, it was cool that they were actually taking the feedback and saying, "Oh, we can make this better. This is this is you know." And I think feed feed there's a there's a distinct difference between feedback too and and criticism, um, or like just attacking methodologies yeah. or 
whatever. You can disagree with the politics of a company and you can say that. You can share your thought. I'm never going to say be quiet. Don't talk. Like you've got a platform. Use it for what you want to use it for. Um, but I think soliciting feedback and and asking your customers, what do you think about this is is one thing a company can do. But like that doesn't empower the customer to feel like a decision maker. Right. Um, and I, I think people lose sight of that sometimes. So if- well, it's the same thing at work and that I try to do with my niece all the time. She complains about stuff. I, if you if you're just complaining to complain, stop. If you're going to complain, have a solution or something that actually makes sense as an alternative. Don't just say, oh, Beastmen are terrible army. Uh, They should be half the price and count as 43 models instead of one or something stupid like Mm -hmm. that. Like just actively think of a way to make it better and share that in a way that's not an attack. Right. Like it doesn't have to be words that I won't say (laughs) To, to make a company listen, those are the comments they're never going to listen to. Put time and thought behind the message and send it. And that kind of feedback is the right kind of feedback. It's it's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is the internet platform to allow people to just be toxic and rude and hateful to, to everything with no repercussion. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, if, if that's what makes you happy, cool. I, I mean... That's what the block button's for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, any any other thoughts in in that one? The, there is no they. All right, then uh, I wrote this down because I wanted to have a question uh, and I wanted to leave myself an opening. So I, I will claim this one. I, I I basically said random tie question without prep or much thought. Um, I think we've talked about an, an interesting gamut here, uh, but what, and, and I have this question, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to talk through it. Um, and it's, it's kind of one of those, uh, imagine yourself as one of these things and, and which would you rather be and why would you rather be that? Uh, so your, your choices are comic book hero, sci-fi space opera, like TV series character, movie action hero or just a regular person in in a fantasy world like Tolkien or um name of the wind but you're just a regular person in that in that world so comic book hero action movie hero character in a space opera style sci-fi tv series or just a regular person in one of these kind of magical fantasy worlds? And then why would you rather be that? Regular person. In a fantasy world? Yep. Why? Because I'm just a regular person. I don't want to be an action hero. I don't want to be a superhero. I don't want to be anything like that. I, I just want to be a regular dude. Uh, so you and, just want to work and grind away? Yep. Have a family? Know I'm there's not, dragons and crazy sorcery and not not be a part of it? Just like I mean, know about it. Maybe maybe you catch a glimmer every once in a while or you hear a cool story. I don't want to be part. I don't want to be leading it. But you want to be ransacked and perhaps sure. killed when the invading army comes across. I'll, I'll stand my ground with my pitchfork. <laughs> All right. Regular guy. Regular dude. In a fantasy world. That's me. Bryce, how about you? Uh, there's no doubt about it that I would choose to be a comic book hero, uh, <laughs> but but a but like a Marvel comic book hero because 
DC comic book heroes are stupid. Wow. Wow. Shots <laughs> for Batman, but yeah, the, that universe is just, it's too, it's too unbalanced. Wow. The, the, the great thing about Marvel is the powers of the normal superheroes are limited and clear and obvious weaknesses. Silver Surfer. There's no Superman. Silver Surfer. Yeah. Thor. I said the the Thor has plenty of weaknesses. He's a god. He's too handsome. <laughs> He's too <laughs> handsome. <laughs> His hammer's too strong. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So comic book hero. Any ideas? Okay, so let's take it a step further. Let's pull this thread a little bit. What are like two powers your comic book hero would have? Oh wow, this is this is such a challenging question. I would I would I would need to be able to fly. I'd like I'd like to be able to fly. And then I I'd like to be Kilgrave, but not bad. I would do good things with my power. Hmm. He makes people, for those who don't know, he makes people it's kind of mind control, but he makes them believe horrible things are happening. And I would like to make people like in struggling situations, like uh, someone who's sick, not feel as bad. All right. Like just some regular guy Flight in a fantasy in. world and you'd make them feel. <laughs> yeah, I'd make them yeah. feel like they saw a dragon on the horizon. That's awesome. When their village was being burned and looted. I like, I like that. <laughs> Troy, how about you? Uh, I am going to go with the space opera person. So one of the characters in the... Yeah, in the space opera. Because uh, maybe, I don't know, the future space could be could be better. Um, hopefully I'm not going to be in a super dystopian future space opera thing. I'm not going to be some belter out in the expanse. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'm <laughs> more of a... I don't know. You think you'd be like a crewman on on the ship, or do you think you'd be more like a, you know, a denizen of one of the the bars in like Moss Eisley, or like what? Where do you where do you see yourself fitting? Oh, um, yeah, I think it's yeah, you're like serving on some whether it's a civilian crew or um whatever military whatever it looks like or government crew or something okay. in the future. Hopefully, well, cool. seems like that could be somewhat exciting you guys just gave me your character sketches for a uh an open savage world style campaign where your heroes from different multiverses brought into <laughs> yeah into the one one space to overcome something <laughs> the regular guy from fantasy world the comic book hero and then the space opera that means Ty, you, we, we left for you the motion book motion picture action heroes. action action hero yeah. yeah i mean i guess that's that's where i go um just because I've so I've been playing a lot of <laughs> this is gonna sound ridiculous. I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty uh Warzone, like for the last year and a half of the pandemic. And I've I've got this idea of like how awesome it'd be to jump out of a an airplane, parachute down, and then pick up like guns and running gun your way across like the terrain and I see like Rambo, you know, and that'd be pretty cool to <laughs> be be in the fast and the furious 10 or like but you're actually that guy you're able to like you know drive cars ridiculously and like any weapon you pick up you're just an expert with and you can jump off of a skyscraper onto a helicopter and have no fear that you're gonna make it 
hang on by like two fingers and be able to pull yourself up. That would be, yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. You just want to be Jason Statham in every movie he's ever been in. Yeah. 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 I'll be Jason Statham. Any movie he's been in. Yeah. That yeah. that works. I'm going to see fast and the furious nine tomorrow. So <laughs> super hyped up. <laughs> oh man. You know, uh, will will conway can quote almost every fast and the furious movie like from start to finish that's bananas him and his buddy tony can literally just back and forth almost the entire movie it's bananas (laughs) it's pretty wild all right so i i think unless anyone else has a uh a, a walk on question or topic for the end of the the meeting that would be that would be our, our back and forth. Um, Troy, I'm going to give you uh, seven points. Um, Bryce, you get 12 points. And Josh, you get 15 for being the regular guy. But you lose nine for your answers for the other questions. So you end up with six. So Bryce, you win the Around the Horn uh, segment. Um, Troy and Josh are now on mute. Bryce, you get 30 seconds to address the audience <laughs> before we move to the, the wrap-up and news and events. <laughs> Yeah, I'd just like to, you know, thank thank my dogs for giving me the courage to make it through this segment. Uh, Loki spilled water on me in the middle of this, and I even managed to make it through with that. So it's just, you know, I'm blessed. Thank you. Thank you to all those who, who agree with this decision, which is clearly everyone listening. And I love you, Stu. <laughs> awesome. We all love you, Stu. Yeah. Oh. Hey, you're supposed to be muted. <laughs> he just took it off. He just yeah, took yeah. it off. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for the uh, the the main segment of the show. Um, I think what's pretty exciting is we've got um, we've got some actual upcoming events here in the second half of this year. We're starting to see signups go live for a few tournaments that we are excited to attend or plans develop. Um, so I think <clears throat> this may not be in chronological order, but we'll kind of touch each of these in the next few months. Uh, into the fall. Uh, so NashCon coming up um, right around August 19th, 20th. Bryce and I are formulating our plans to, to make a road trip and, and go down there, play some AOS with our, our friends for that tournament that uh, David Griffin runs with Awesome Terrain and the Schemes, which are a super nice twist. But I'll be interested to see what he does for, you know, 3.0. And it, it looks like it's going to shake up you know, traditional mm-hmm. scoring quite a bit. So I'm really interested to see what he opts to do for, for NashCon, which has always been a pretty unique way of scoring and, and playing with the schemes and the, the primary objectives. Um, so that, that tournament's coming up. Um, shortly thereafter, um, I know September, you've got Gen Con, uh, which, you know, um, for lack of a, a better word, seems to be um, pretending life is normal at Gen Con with no, <laughs> no real focus on protocol. Or... It'll, I, but I don't, I don't even know what it, it's, I don't know. I'm going to go, Ben and I are going to go and like, whatever, we're going to goof around for four days. Um, but I, the question is like, I don't know, like there's not going to be a huge hall, but there's going to be some vendor hall and I don't, they really haven't, they, who knows what events are going to show up. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, We'll need you to to provide an update. I'll be the man on the ground. Man on the ground. 
Um, then in, as we move into, so the, the weekend before that Gen Con weekend, Brew City Brawl, uh, three. So Brendan, uh, of cubic shenanigans fame and the former unseated Lord of death, um, runs a tournament this year. I know he's, he's looking to do kind of big game style where that'll be in third edition, 2,500, 3000 points. I, I think he's, he's kind of waiting to lock that in for for sure but right now it's slated to be a big game 3,000 points signups are they tomorrow is that right yeah i think so yeah so for anyone listening it'll be too late to sign up so hopefully you got brendan an, an email and a paypal uh, if, if big games are are your thing or get on the wait list or get on the wait list wait list always seems to to move pretty quick and people get in um and then as we look into october we've got Gamehole Con the same weekend as Dragonfall. Uh, so Dragonfall, I know Mark uh, Ramchek, a good uh, good friend of ours, and kind of local Milwaukee uh, gamer, is running the AOS tournament at Dragonfall. Um, Bryce, are you playing in that? I am. All right. Bryce is going to win Dragonfall. Um, he's going to 5-0 it with a filthy list. And Dragonfall's in Lake Geneva this year, right? Yeah, it moved yeah. up to Lake Geneva, yep. Um, and then after he wins the tournament, he's going to start giving Age of Sigmar lessons. Uh, he's going to charge you 50 bucks an hour and he'll also teach you how to paint, but that's a hundred dollars per hour. So you can become an all around tournament, uh, champ, um, with Bryce's, uh, zero to hero, uh, AOS course. Uh, it's a six week intensive, um, training camp. So you got to be prepared, dedicate time and energy and money, uh, to, to Bryce. And you got to be willing yep. to sleep in a sleeping bag on his floor uh, for those six weeks. Yeah, and the, and then in the basement. Yep. And then when he goes three and two at a subsequent tournament, uh, he'll he'll brag about how great he is, and it'll be really cool uh, to see Bryce do that. So yeah, I'm excited. But I take a fun list. Yeah, yeah, you'll take a yeah. fun list. So you've got a, a way to fall back and say, "Well, yeah, who, yeah, yeah, who's going to go five zero with this list?" Um. I love that. That's like an inside joke that only maybe five people will will get. Uh, so Dragonfall, Bryce playing, Mark running. Troy, I think you're gonna go down for a day or two. I'm I'm waiting to see how the 40k stuff kind of okay. develops. Um, but yeah, I may split between the two on on do game hole early in the weekend and Dragonfall in the after in the weekend Sunday or something like that. Yeah. So then game hole con same weekend. Matt and Elena are plan, planning on on coming in. Um, we got a Airbnb, uh, about five minutes from the convention center. So it'll be a like real world game hole. Um, we'll see how, how that goes. I'm super excited to, to see those guys again, play games, get into the Atlanta energy center. Um, hopefully play some RPGs, see some, some panels. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think game hole con is, is doing the right thing. I'll get political here for a moment, but they are doing uh, mandatory vaccination, proof of vaccination um, for attendees. So they are not going to do masks, but they are going to be checking and, and validating um, vaccination. And, and I think that's a, a unique approach. I'm not seeing that from a lot of cons, but it's it's kind of what they have decided to do to feel that they can put on the, the safest show. Um, uh, so, you know, good Props to to Alex and and company at at Gamehole Con for for doing that. Um, it's not an easy decision, I'm I'm sure, but I, I 
I think their statement was well worded yeah. and well thought out. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, with him having an, a, a being an attorney and when you look at liability and what else is included there to, to be very clear in that, um, how much of that played into it. But, uh, so game Holcon and Dragonfall, that's, I want to say that's what October 22nd ish. Yeah. It's kind uh, of the, the week of before it. Halloween. Yeah, that sounds right. And then on that topic really quick, tight Pride Fest in Chicago did that this weekend. They required either proof of vaccination or a rapid test done in the last 24 hours to be able to come into into the the premises. That's cool. Yeah. 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 I I think, um, you know, personal, personal views aside, I I think that's kind of what we're going to start seeing in some of these spaces until, until it's truly done and gone is, you know, proof of vaccination or, um, you know, different protocols. So, um, what am I? Oh, Holy Havoc signups coming up. Uh, maybe by the time we get this out there, July 1st for Steve Herner's, uh, incredible team event, um, down there in, I can't think of the suburb now. Is it Naperville? Naperville. Yeah. Naperville. Um, so that that'll be really cool. I think all four of us are going to try to to get in and uh, play. So Bryce and I, and then Troy and Josh, to flex our flex our narrative muscles uh, and get you two to your first holy event, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, enjoy that. So I know we'll we'll be at some capacity at all of these events we've mentioned uh, in the coming months. Um, I'm excited to to get weekends away and get back to that kind of. Um, collegiate style of living for three days at a time. (laughs) 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 Hotel rooms and lots of beer. I think it's it's a little bit, again, I guess this isn't too much different than, than the, whatever we call them, the prior times, old times, pre times. I don't need to need some kind of things, right? Things aren't moved too much from their normal, when the normal time would have been in, whatever it would have been 2019 or something. Yeah. Uh, except you have Gen Con plopped in the middle of that, but it seems like it's going to be a yeah, very, <laughs> very busy fall for that kind of the April, September, October, and, uh, April, August, September, October. And an event certainly that is not like a, a public event, but I want to, I want to just spend a minute or two talking about is we've scheduled a plane and slaying board game weekend so found a house kind of in the middle of the state (laughs) so it feels far enough away where we're actually going out of town um for the four of us to to get together bring some games um and and just you know sit around and and hang out for a weekend kind of like a a um a con weekend but without the exhibit hall or the the events um but try to put together a schedule of games, get a brewery tour in there and, and just some, some meals together and, and some time. Cause uh, we've talked about it for years um, and finally just, just did it. Yep. So booked a place and I'm pretty excited. That'll be, uh, I think that's that first weekend in August, kind of yep. the sixth through the eighth. So if you randomly find us somewhere in the middle of Wisconsin <laughs> uh, that weekend, say, say hi, but um. You know, and I, I think pie in the sky vision is long term. Maybe it expands. You know, if, yeah. if we really have a good time, we find a space. You know, we 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 grow it a little bit to to be um, more. But I I'm I'm super excited. Uh, I'm constantly harassing you guys about 
the the what to bring list yeah. and the itinerary and the the Google sheet, um, <laughs> so people can can keep tabs on what they got to get done for it. Um, but yeah, so that'll be the uh, the playing and slaying weekender. I can't think of a better nope. playing playing slaying con. <laughs> the weekender, weekender, I like it. Weekender, yeah. yeah. So that's gonna do it though uh, for our show today. Um, we uh, we look forward to upcoming episode fifty four. We'll probably record that right before we head head out to an undisclosed location somewhere in the driftless uh, area of the state um, for our weekend. Don't give away too much. People oh, are gonna like shoot, try and shoot. find us. So yeah, that's yeah. Um, well, it's it, it looks like a very. I mean, there's like a security fence and you know sentry <laughs> towers and uh, proximity mines on the way up the road. So. 24-hour guards. Yeah, yeah. We're going to Wapan. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Cell Block C Gaming Weekender. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, Well, thanks for listening. Uh, I think we we went a little bit off the rails in this one more than past episodes, but it was worth it. It was a good – felt like a good discussion. Um, So please, you know – Download, add us, subscribe, do all that fun stuff, all the different platforms. Um, send us emails, comments, whatever. If, if you want to get in on the uh, the hydrated, um, staying hydrated segment, you know, and, and a personalized shout out, let us know that that you listen and like that. Stu, I can't wait to to eat cheddar biscuits and drink beer with you in a, in about a, a month and a half, um, and and meet plenty of new friends. So. Playing and Slaying Facebook at Play and Slaying Show, Twitter, basementofdeath.com, all the emails, all the fun. But uh, this was this was great. Nice to be mostly in person. Um, Bryce, soon, soon, we'll get you in an actual. I don't know how we're going to set up the camera. This will be it. We'll have to do like. We'll have to sit. Two, yeah. Uh, school row like style. Circle. Yeah. We'll, we'll have two in the front, two in the back. And then what do I do with my hands? Under the table. No, we're each going to have our own cameras. And, uh, no. Oh, we have our own cameras? Oh, I don't know. Maybe that'll be the next right. evolution. Well, well, we figure out the uh, how, how we're going to do that. I want the rest of you to keep the dice rolling, the drinks on ice, and no matter what, keep playing and slaying. Live from the basement of death in person for the first time in 33 episodes. It is time. (sighs) To the hundreds of listeners around the world. (sighs) And the zero listeners watching live on Twitch. (laughs) This is Playin' and Slayin'.
In the blue corner, weighing 196 pounds, Bryce the Hammer Shoals. And in the red corner, weighing in at... How much do you weigh right now, Troy? Uh, 215. 215 pounds. Troy, the Podfather Weiss. Five rounds in BOD Fight Federation Championship Wrestling. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, you've been informed of the rules in your locker rooms before the fight. Keep the hands and feet above the waist. Let's get it on. Bryce doesn't well, well, want to touch yeah, gloves. No. Bryce Look at what an asshole, right? Look, doesn't he want to touch gloves? <laughs> and now a Discord box. <laughs> <laughs> Troy circles to his right. Putting in uh, all that time in collegiate level wrestling, we'll see what that does. Bryce was a basketball player, uh, not a lot of striking in basketball, so it'd be interesting to see how this fight develops. Coop, won't it? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to have to bob, bob and weave, and <laughs> you know all that stuff. Are you are you watching the fight, Josh? Or are you texting? I'm watching the fight oh, on my boy. phone. You're watching the fight on your phone. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's delayed then. <laughs> <laughs> Bryce does have allies. Nice. Yeah. He didn't like that very much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we done? Uh, We're right. We, yep. We can rock it. So how do I?